get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. An officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us for the next three hours. We're going to talk to Frank Viverito of the St. Louis Sports Commission, Josh Fleming of the Tampa Bay Rays. They're still going to the World Series. <laughs> And uh, we are not talking to Chris Zimmerman, president and CEO of the St. Louis Blues. We might talk about the SEC and their COVID situation, but even though on the sheet, on my little uh, grid here, it says we're talking to Chris Zimmerman, we are not because we did yesterday. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Randy. But I think we are going to talk to our friend Joy Vitale. That's true. He is on the list. He is on the list. So that'll be fun. How are you doing? I'm doing great. TGIF, am I right? <laughs> no doubt about it. You did some serious working out yesterday, huh? Late into the evening? I got to tell you, Randy, this challenge is starting to wear on What me. happened? So I was supposed to tape a podcast yesterday, and then my podcast co-host had something come up, so he had to push it back. But we tape a video. What We do it live, and we tape a video in addition to do the live. podcast. Do live. And, you know, for... For women, I can't work out and then shower and then get ready again. So I just had to sit there and wait. So an hour goes by, two hours goes by. We're getting late into the afternoon, Randy, mm-hmm. when daylight is precious and we have to do these outside workouts. So we didn't wrap until almost six. Oh, my. And then I still had to get two workouts in, continue to watch the baseball games, prep for the show. I didn't get done working out until like 1030. Wow. That's not good. No, it's not. And I'm tired today and I really would just like a donut. Okay, well, see, this is where the mental aspect of things come in. I'm weak. I'm mentally weak. When Andy Frisella of Supplement Superstores invented the 75 Hard Challenge, part of it was it's supposed to be hard. It is. And you want a donut. But if you avoid the donut, your level of mental toughness goes through the roof. But how long does that mental toughness high last? Because, yes, I will feel good about it for a day. It's going to last a lot longer than the sugar high from that donut. You know what they say, Randy? A minute on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? That minute on the lips is pretty good. And it's been 16 days. No coffee, no wine, no sugar. I haven't had any coffee or wine How are you so chipper? This is what I want to know. Scott and I are over here. He dipped out after, what, three days? Two days. Let's call it two days, okay? We're not even going to give him the third day. I'm struggling. I am on the struggle bus here. And you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. This is well, not even a challenge for you. I don't do caffeine anyway. That's I don't true. do alcohol That's anyway. True. So the big thing for me is to, A, schedule the workouts, and B, maintain a reasonable diet. And the big thing... In, ter- in terms of re- maintaining a reasonable diet for me is really just avoiding, avoiding the chocolate-covered almonds. If I do that, if I just eat regular almonds rather than chocolate-covered almonds, I have broccoli and grilled chicken for lunch. I have either salmon or grilled chicken for dinner. I, I don't eat any carbs or pasta. Very little, not much. So it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, who needs chocolate-covered almonds when you have broccoli? Bro- you can make broccoli good. You can never make it great. 65780, your best preparation of broccoli. The best? This is just like Aaron Rodgers, okay? Chocolate-covered almonds' worst year is broccoli's career year. 
You know what I mean? Oh, I'm not, I'm not disputing that, but I, it is supposed to be hard, and that's the hardest part of it for me. Put a little spray butter on the on the broccoli, too. Oof, man. But what? I think we're not supposed to do stuff like that. Yeah, you can. Like a little salt and pepper and olive oil, and then uh, put it in the microwave for four minutes with, with some water, oh, and then pour the uh, that out. It's great. It's fantastic. Oh, sounds amazing. Oh, see, this is why you're making it hard. <laughs> Yeah, the, the biggest thing, the, the, when, when I lost my 70 pounds, the biggest thing I learned is that you have to make things that you don't like. You have to train yourself to like them. And that's how you trained yourself to like broccoli. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, always, I always liked broccoli, but I found ways to make it even better. You know what is a really good broccoli is when it's baked, you know, kind of in a gratin with cheese. <laughs> now, that's not the preparation we're talking about. You can roast broccoli on the on the Traeger. It's delicious. Don't have that. Okay, you can roast broccoli in the oven. It's delicious. I have an oven. I do have an oven. Okay. Well, you know what, Randy? I, I really hope that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to take your mentality, your 75 hard, strong mentality yeah. into yeah. this game today. Yeah, you know who's roasted is Nick Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> holy smokes. Astros Rays yesterday in San Diego, and our friend Randy Arozarena did it again. Bradley, two RBI single. And that one's in the air, deep center field. Springer on the run, and this ball's going to fly. It's gone. He's done it again, Randy Rosarena. His sixth home run of the postseason. Pretty good. Pretty. pretty Cardinals good. regular season leader had seven, and he's only got six. Wow. <laughs> that is. He is just. What else can you say about this guy you can't right have, now? You, you can't. So G-Man Choi hit a home run in the eighth inning to tie the game. And we're thinking at that point, 3-3, that the Rays bullpen is going to win the game for them. Nick Anderson, though, on in the ninth after taking over in the eighth. One ball, one strike. In the air, center field. Correa's watching. This is back, and it's gone! It's a walk-off home run! Carlos Correa! The Houston Astros win it in the bottom of the ninth on Correa's walk-off over four to three. And there will be a game six. That's the worst. I'm, I'm always thinking when something like that happens, okay, how did they cheat on that one? I'm thinking the same thing, but as they continue to go through this and as they continue to kind of scrap back and fight back, I don't, I, I'm kind of wondering if we should give them a little bit more nope. credit. We're going to talk about it later because I have I have some thoughts on this. Nope. <laughs> That's the way that the way that you feel about the Astros right now is the way that I'm feeling about broccoli. Just <laughs> nope. <laughs> so the Astros win it four to three. They were down in the series three games to none. Now it's three two, and they will try to clinch a spot in the World Series today. They don't take any days off, and it'll be Blake Snell who started Game One against Framber Valdez for the Rays and uh, or for the Astros rather so hopefully Blake Snell can quell this uprising by Houston yeah just end it just end it today you know let's have Randy A continue on another home run hopefully one that ends mm-hmm. it so that he can be the hero yeah. because we were cheering for him how about this dad I sent this to you and Scott last night most home runs and Rays postseason history not just a single postseason and their entire franchise's post history okay you have Evan Longoria with nine BJ Upton with seven Randy Rosarita is third on the list already with six wow 
I've got another one for you coming up in just a moment after we talk about the Braves' blowout of the Dodgers. Actually, it wasn't necessarily the Braves' blowout of the Dodgers. It was Marcelo Zuna's blowout (laughs) of the Dodgers as Marcel stepped to the plate in the sixth inning and the game is tied at 1-0. Swing and a high fly ball. That's pretty well struck left field. Going back is Peterson on his way and out of here. And just like that, we are starting over. For Marcelo Zuna, his second homer of these playoffs, it's 1-1. That one was in the fourth inning. His sixth inning hit put him ahead. Payoff pitch. Curveball lined out into left center field. That'll touch down for a hit. Freeman around third. He's coming in to score. Ozuna dives into second with a head first slide. It's a double. It knocks in a run. And the Braves lead it 3-1. to one. A six-run sixth for Atlanta, Michelle. And they took a 7-1 to one lead. Clayton Kershaw, five innings, seven hits, four runs, all earned. He struck out four and walked one. It's Clayton Kershaw. It's the postseason. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It is insane. It just doesn't happen for him in the postseason. So he gets knocked around, but the Braves pitching staff in general held the Dodgers down. Well, the Dodgers pitching staff in general did get knocked around by Ozuna. Here's a swing and a high fly ball drilled to center. Bellinger back turning and looking out of here. And Ozuna makes his way around the bases. Second homer of the night. And the Big Bear mixing it up. The Braves get that run back. It's 8-2. And Atlanta won it 10-2. Bryce Wilson, the guy we joked about yesterday (laughs) because we hadn't heard of him. Bryce with an S. Bryce with an S. Goes six innings. He allows one run on one hit. He struck out five and walked one through only 74 pitches. And Will Smith had a little bit of trouble in the seventh. But then Martin and Matzek and Green shut it down. And the Braves win it over the Dodgers 10-2. And now Atlanta is within a game of going to the World Series. You think they get it done today? I think they've got a very good chance of it. The Dodgers are a pretty resilient group. But I just don't see the Braves losing three in a row the way things are going. And, and I'm looking at momentum. Mm-hmm. I like the Dodgers' chances of coming back better than the Astros' chances of coming back. But, man, it's it's amazing to watch Atlanta do what they're doing. Even with momentum? Even though the Astros have momentum on their side? Well, as we say, momentum is as strong as your next day's starting pitcher. And Blake Snell is the next day's starting pitcher there for, you go. for the That's true. Go Rays. Go Rays. Absolutely. But these both of these series have been so entertaining. They've been so fun to watch, but also painful because in every game is which former Cardinals outfielder is tearing it up for another team. We've talked about it every single day. Randy Rosarena. It's Marcelo Zuna. Of course, it's those two guys. Michelle, in the postseason, Marcelo Zuna and Randy Rosarena have combined for 88 at-bats. Six doubles, a triple, and nine home runs. And a home run every 9.77 at-bats. So nine home runs and 16 extra base hits. That's in 88 at-bats. In the Cardinals postseason, they had 107 at-bats. The whole team, whole group. They had eight doubles, which is more than a Rosarena and Ozuna. No triples. And three home runs. So... Well, a Rosarena and Ozuna have nine home runs and 16 extra base hits and 88 at-bats. The Cardinals had three home runs and 11 extra base hits and 107 at-bats. 
Can you imagine what that team would have looked like if they had those two guys? Oh, man. Here's another one for you. In this postseason, Ozuna and Rosarena, a home run every 9.77 at-bats combined. Mm-hmm. During the regular season, the, Card- the Cardinals had one home run every 34.4 at-bats. The Cardinals hit 51 home runs in 58 games. Everybody, every Cardinal together hit 51 home runs. And these guys have nine during the postseason. They could have used that power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, could have used it. Uh, it's uh, remarkable. It's amazing. But it, but we have had this discussion too, and I think we're going to dig further into this as the offseason goes on. Where's the disconnect? Would they have had that level of success here? Could they have replicated what they're doing with Atlanta and Tampa Bay here in St. Louis? I know this for a fact that Marcel Ozuna, even here with the Cardinals approach was better than anything the Cardinals had. Mm-hmm. So, and he wanted to come back. Yes, he did. Le'Veon Bell is now a member of the Chiefs. He signed yesterday, and so he's going to play against his former team, the Jets, soon. He'll be a big help for them if he can be what he was with Pittsburgh, which was three years ago. How much do you think he has in the tank, realistically? I just don't know because he was playing for such a bad team, but I don't know if taking the year off really affected him negatively. But I think if you're the Chiefs, why not do it for a one-year deal? One-year oh, yeah. experiment on a t- on that sort of potential weapon on this this team that you already have? It's a no-brainer. And he's not 30 yet. I believe he's only 27 years old, so that works to his advantage. Colton Wong posted on his Instagram saying, thank you, Cardinals Nation. Cardinal Nation was all a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat just texted Colton and said, what's going on? And Colton said, I'm just wishing everybody thanks for happy, saying happy birthday to me. It was his first post since his birthday. He's not been all over social media since the season ended and since his birthday. You know, I saw it. It was a great picture. I threw a like on it on IG because I assumed it was for the birthday, but maybe next time say thank you for the birthday wishes. You know, just really address what you want to. Because, yeah, people were freaking out. People were like, oh, of course. Of course, you know, the Cardinals aren't going to, you know, figure the, the contract situation out with Colton Wong. Of course. Of course this is going to happen. Everybody was very upset there for a second. We love Colton Wong because he's a great guy. Last year, after the 2019 season, the White Sox had the American League Gold Glove winner named Yolmer Sanchez. He had a 638 OPS for them. And the White Sox DFA'd him. The Cardinals hold an option of $12.5 million on Colton Wong for this year. Gold Glover. Had a 675 OPS. 675 versus 638. Colton Wong, we we love him because he's a good guy. He's not worth $12.5 million. You think they're going to move on? I don't know if they will, but they should. If, If they're in the business of spending money and improving their offense, you can find a guy that's got a 675 OPS to play second base for you. You could get Yalmer Sanchez for a million, too. And he could be a gold glove second baseman for you. Virtually the same offense. Why not do that? Right? For 10 times less and then go spend that money on a hitter. They've got a lot of decisions. I could do that. Heck, I'm, <laughs> I'm not even in a baseball front office and I could do that. I wish you would be a GM. I would love to see the moves that you would make. I would be... Uh, I could never do it. I'm too irrational. I'm that's too emotional. My, I, I would be Army-esque. That's, I think you would be. Oh, I would, yeah. I think you'd be a savage. Yeah, I... I don't get emotional about this stuff. I just want my team to win. I'd be like, oh, but, you know, it's out of your great money. Great guy. We had, get him the we, money. We, we had a great jersey day for that guy. We got to think about that when we're giving him $12.5 million. You'd be, remember when we didn't know if Pat Maroon was going to be around before Pat Maroon bobblehead night? Yeah. That would be you. That, that would be you saying, oh, who, yeah. cares, who cares if he's there for bobblehead night? <laughs> I don't care. No, you did, it's like the Blues did. You keep him around until after bobblehead night. <laughs> and then, boom, he's gone.
That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Carriker and Smallman. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got our peak and pit of the week, and I believe we've got some ideas for broccoli for you, Michelle. Next oh. on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, you guys, I'm trying to help Michelle through 75 hard. And when I get texts that say the best broccoli prep, throw it in the trash from the 573. <laughs> or when I get from the 618, broccoli is best thrown in the trash. That's not the best preparation for broccoli. That's not what we're looking for. We're trying to do something productive for our bodies here. Yeah, it's day 16. Your girl has hit a wall. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. But it's not even that I dislike broccoli. Comparatively to the other vegetables, broccoli's okay. It's just broccoli is not exciting enough to get me to want to continue on. To the other vegetables? Yeah, I mean, come on. Cauliflower is like broccoli's embarrassing cousin. Yeah, it is. You know, that's, oh, yeah, cauliflower, don't, you know. I think comes you're to coming into this with a bad attitude. A bad attitude. I've made it 16 a days. Bad vegetable attitude, I mean. Bad broccoli attitude specifically, but cauliflower vegetables. You know, you realize that one of the things that Al Michaels is most pride, proud of in life is that he's never introduced a vegetable to his body. Never. Not once, he says. How is that possible? I don't know, but he says he hasn't. This from the 636, Michelle. Give this a shot this weekend. Okay. Broccoli on a pizza pan at 400, drizzle with lemon juice and minced garlic and sea salt. Ooh, that actually sounds great. Anything with lemon juice. Uh, steamed with Lion's Choice seasoning. There you go. People are oh, thinking. That, okay, now you're speaking my language. Yep. Again, normal. 15 days ago, broccoli would have sounded great. But we're at day 16. Look, people, I need you to understand. In 16 days, I've had no coffee, which is my lifeblood. I've had no wine, which my body weight was about 82% red wine prior to this. I've had no sugar. I've been working out twice a day. I am worn down. On this Friday. <laughs> okay, and we're coming up with ideas for you. Thank How about you. this from the People 314? Poison sauce plus soy plus honey with broccoli. Bake it in the oven. Oh, a little honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Honey Sweetness. is like the natural sugar. There you go. All right. Uh, a small dab of hollandaise sauce on broccoli is da bomb. It's not just the bomb, but da bomb. Okay, I love that. I love that. See? See, I'm going to copy and paste these, email them to myself. We're going to, we will make it through. I'll make it through, but probably every 10 to 15 days, you're going to get some complaining out of me. I I don't know how you have come here with a positive attitude about veggies. So the book that I'm reading as part of the 75 Hard is In Awe by our friend John O'Leary. Yes. And he he gives us ideas how to see the world with a, we we had him, we interviewed him. Yeah, he's great. See the world with a childlike awe and be positive, basically, again. So I am seeing the world through a childlike awe saying, I don't want to eat the broccoli. Yes, you kind of are. But you have to be excited about your day. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. You have to look at the world with eyes that are curious and positive and optimistic. Have you ever met a kid, Randy, that runs to the dinner table and goes, oh, we are having broccoli. Sick. I am hyped for dinner. It is broccoli. But they always do eat the broccoli, though. Yeah, because their dad is like my dad. And he says, you're not getting up out of the seat until you eat your broccoli. You got to find a way. All right. Time for peak or pit. Michelle, my peak came last Saturday afternoon. We do this segment on Fridays. My peak was when Missouri knocked off the LSU Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. And... uh, Obviously, our coach, who's got a pretty good personality. Yes, he does. Is he our coach now? He is your coach. Okay. And I am rooting for him. At the end of press conferences, Eli Drinkwitz says, (laughs) M-I-Z. 
Now, my pit also came after last week's show, but relatively early in our clock here for Peeker Pit. It was when the Blues signed Tory Krug, and it wasn't because they signed Tory Krug. It was because that was the definitive moment when we knew that Alex Petrangelo was not coming back to the Blues. So that was my pit. We're kind of in, on the same page here. I'm going to go with my pit first. I, we have to do two workouts, one outside. I knew that Ribs and BK were going to be speaking to Alex Petrangelo, so I believe that was Wednesday. I scheduled my entire afternoon around that. I thought, okay, I'm going to go outside. We're going to listen to this interview. And as great as it was, because Pet, they asked him amazing questions. They extracted some really good stuff out of him. He was so open and transparent about the process, about his feelings throughout the process, about leaving St. Louis and how difficult it was going to be for him. But that's when it really hit me. I kind of got something in my throat thinking, wow, this guy has been... Because you, you know everything that Alex Petrangelo is. You know everything that he's brought into this organization and the community. And you know it's a business decision. We had kind of put on our, our business hats and we knew that this wasn't something that could be inevitable. But to hear him feel emotional and be sad about leaving a place that he mm-hmm. wanted to live in forever, that he cherishes and that he loves, it was just a big time realization for him and I think a lot of people listening that this was the end of the road and that it yeah. had been a really great partnership, kind you know? Yeah. And so that was a that was a pit for me. Um, I would say the peak for me, Randy, has been the weather. The weather has been Fabulous. chef's kiss. Perfect. Every day. Yesterday was a little bit cold, but then it, it, it brightened up. But every single day, we come in here and it's dark. It's a little chilly in the morning and you think, oh, God, winter is coming. But then by the time we leave, 10 a.m., the sun is shining, the leaves have turned, there's a little bit of crispness in the air. It's really put us in a good mood. So the weather has been the peak for me. All right. Scotty, how about you? Um, Well, my pit of my week is actually uh, your pit or peak, Randy. Um, My (laughs) pit of the week was definitely listening to the game on the radio when LSU lost (laughs) to Mizzou. And had four chances at the one-yard line, and I got overly angry about them losing. Um, that's definitely my pit. My peak of the week, though, might surprise you guys, but actually spending time with my girlfriend's family in Kansas City. Proud of you. That yes, is we, a, we know you, know, you know she's that's listening, and that's a great play for what has happened with you in recent peaks or pits. So that's yes. a strong move on your part. Yeah. yeah you know what? Email awesome. them this audio. Email them this audio. Yeah. I'll send it to them after the show. All right, 65780. That's our... Brown, uh, no, no, it's not a celebrity line. It's our air comfort service text line. That's right. That's, I'm so excited about the celebrity line. But today. you know what? Our listeners are celebrities in their own right. Yes, they are. All right, here's what we got from the text line 65780 air comfort service text line for your peak and your pit. This person's peak is the show Friends, his pit is the office. What are they sure that they type that correctly? Listen, Friends is the most overrated show in the history of television. It was people liked it because it was must see TV. There was nothing else on at the time. You you just liked, you know, a little bit of lightheartedness. It was Taco Thursday. Ross and Rachel, were they on a break? It is not a good show. The, the humor is second rate. It's not funny. The Office is one of the most brilliant television shows of all time. So sorry, Texter. I don't want to hear it from you. I don't feel strongly enough about either show to really call, the, call it a peak or a pit. Have you watched The Office all the way through? Yeah. And you don't feel strongly about it. That surprises me. If my world had existed without The Office, I'd be fine. Now, my kids, I I think Patrick might have every season on DVD, and they've watched every show, and it's always on at our house. Kids love it, but it's not something that I say, oh, The Office is on, I'm going to sit down, I can find something else to do. Wow. 
The Office is one of those nearly perfect shows. It gets better with time. Every time you watch it, it feels like you're watching it with fresh eyes. You still laugh at the same things. It had the you humor. Have childlike awe. Childlike awe. Yes, you can watch The Office with childlike awe. But it had humor. It had interpersonal relationships. It had a little bit of drama. It had romance. It had everything. Great. F- too. Great finale. I had a love-hate relationship with The Office. I used to hate hearing people always talk about it. I'd never watched it. I was so annoyed by it. But then I watched it during quarantine, and it was incredible. It's, it's an amazing show, and now it's like background TV for me. If it's on, okay, I'll listen to it, but I'm not sitting down to actually pay attention, I guess. Yeah. Here's what we got from the 618. Oh, hold on, let me get oh, this ahead. one in from the 314. Uh, one cup of broccoli heads, one egg, grated Parmesan, and a skosh of lemon and cayenne. Baked broccoli is the blank. Oh. Baked, baked broccoli. Okay. We'll try it. This one from the 636. The peak of the week is the Dodgers and Astros losing, and the pit is a Rosarina and Ozuna being the ones to beat them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's legit. I can see it. Yeah, It's interesting how we have text people are... So emotionally invested in the Cardinals. They don't want to hear about the fact that in the baseball playoffs, former Cardinals are doing well. <laughs> well, it's I have a love-hate relationship with it. I, I You know, I want to watch them, and I'm cheering for them, and I get excited. Oh. When Randy Rosarin has another home run, I'm in awe of what he's doing, but it stings. You know, I'm cheering for him. I, 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 Ozuna, when he hit mm-hmm. that second bomb yesterday, he's the Big Bear is having a blast. His teammates are, are doing the, the high fives with him, the intricate high fives. It's fun to watch them have success, but it's also painful. Here's the thing, when it, it, and it is, and I get it from a fan standpoint, but if you're in the best baseball town in America and a guy goes four for five with two home runs, do you just kind of avoid it and not say anything about it? No. I don't think so. It doesn't matter if he's a a former Marlin or a former Cardinal or a former Cub. If a guy goes four for five with a couple of home runs in a playoff game to win the game for his team. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, it doesn't really matter where he was before, but it is more notable that he used to play for your team. And within the last 12 months, last year in the playoffs, those two guys were on your team. And now they aren't on your team anymore. They're starring for other teams. It's relevant. Yeah, I I would say so. Thank you, Scotty. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. If the Astros were to come back from 3-0, become the second team ever to do that, do you give them a little bit more credit for this year? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, of the final four in Major League Baseball, only one team has an OPS over 800. And that's the Houston Astros, who have an 804 OPS as a team in these playoffs. The only team with a greater OPS in the playoffs at all, the Yankees at 856. The Astros have been great, and you got to give them credit. They lead Major League Baseball in postseason home runs with 21. When you look at what they've been able to accomplish, uh, Offensively, just in terms of the bottom line scoring runs, only the Dodgers have scored more, 55. Houston has scored 53. The Houston offense has been excellent in San Diego, in the bubble. That being said, when the Astros succeed, I don't believe it. I believe they're more... I think they're cheaters. And I think what we're seeing now is probably a result of somehow knowing what the pitcher has coming. Yesterday when Correa hits that home run, that's the first thing that I thought. How did he know what was coming? 
So you think this is kind of a, a steroids thing where they just have evolved over time? They have evolved to beat the system? Yeah. and How guys used to it, do that back in the it day? It might not be fair because... I didn't give the Patriots credit for a long time after Spygate. I still think that their first three Super Bowls are tainted because they clearly had the signals of the opposition. It's hard for me to believe that the Astros could succeed to this level just based on talent alone. A guy like Bregman, how does a guy, and granted, he's hit the ball hard, but how does a guy like Bregman go from being a 400 hitter and a World Series MVP to a guy who can't get a hit? So you think that they have found a way. I do. Even with all eyes on them, even with universal hate throughout baseball, except in Houston, that they are so brazen about this, that even with Dusty Baker coming aboard, that they said, "Okay, we know that we've already been caught and popped for this, but we're going to find a way to do it again. I don't trust them. And they haven't given me any reason to trust them. As a matter of fact, their defiance in this entire situation has given me more reason to believe that they would try to find another way because they did get away with it. They did. They 100% got away with it. But I think that defiance might be the secret ingredient. I will never respect this team. I will never respect guys like Altuve and Correa, guys who, uh, Bregman, who were very, very blatant about their... uh, unapologetic nature when it came to them cheating and the fact that they still haven't done it, the fact that they still haven't given a proper apology. I'm never going to respect those guys, but the fact that they have come out here this season and they're doing what they're doing and they're in this position, I will give, I will give them more credit for their skills than I was ready to before from their actual raw baseball skills. And I'm going to give Dusty Baker a lot of credit because I think that having them, uh, you know, giving them the, villain name gave them something mm-hmm. to galvanize around it put an it put a chip on their shoulder it became an us versus the world type mentality and sometimes you need that as a competitor and when you feel like my back is against the wall everyone's doubting my skills everybody thinks this was just a product of the cheating you have a am gonna show them type mentality and I, sometimes that's what you need and by the way in the bubble as we mentioned they have an 804 ops during the regular season this year 720 as a team ops do so you think this is just a postseason deal I would not be at all surprised if we learned at some point that they had found a way to cheat. Would it surprise you that Dusty Baker, if this is if what you're alleging comes to fruition, would you be shocked if, if Dusty Baker would have gone along with something like that? Yeah, I would be surprised if he would have known about it. But would it surprise you to know that Jose Altuve had found a way to game the system so that he, he knew what was coming? It wouldn't surprise me at all. But... You would have to have the entire team on board. It would have to be a collective of people knowing what was going on and being willing to keep it quiet again. It's the I don't same think it's, infield. It's the same group of guys. Springer was there. I just don't know how a couple guys end up going rogue because of, because before the entire team knew what was going on. You, you're not just banging trash cans in a certain rhythm and cadence for no reason and with no one asking any questions. I just don't believe they're this good. And by the way, I think it's a real black eye for baseball. If they do come back from three nothing and win this series against Tampa that's a real black eye for baseball having cheaters with a losing record that did magical things in the postseason when they didn't do it during the regular season in the World Series all of those things combined that's a real black eye for baseball when I was watching that game last night I thought what if they win the World Series you had players who were very upset that they that these players on the Astros did not get any punishment that you had guys who felt like they were cheated out of championships for something that they had worked towards forever and you had guys who cheated their way to win they were busted cheating their way to win they didn't apologize and they didn't 
get any suspensions or any punishments? And then what if they go on to win? I just think you might have sort of a uh, a civil war or an uprising in baseball where you have players publicly coming out saying this this should have never happened. How did these guys mm-hmm. even get to play? And I guess my thing is, at the end of the day, it's probably once a cheater, always a cheater. So if they do succeed, I'm going to think that that's what they did because that's what they've given me. That's what I know about them. That's what I know that they feel is that cheating works. So if they were to cheat now, what what do you think the play is? Because they can't use trash cans. The buzzers aren't going to work now. What is it? What's What, what are sure. they doing? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Is but, it certain cheers maybe? That could be. You I, know? I would have never dreamed that they would use a buzzer. So I, I have no idea how far they would go. But I think it'd be pretty far. Pretty far. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna put a buzzer somewhere on your body, yeah. you're you're committed. You're committed. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight oh. A game of take it or leave it coming your way on one oh one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on one oh one ESPN. <laughs> Coming up at 8.30, we've got the fight. And if you'd like to participate, send us a text with the word fight to 65780. If you'd like to participate, Scotty's going to pick a winner today. And hopefully, you'll have an opportunity to participate against me. It's Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker, Scott Manziara. And your text, 65780, for a little game of take it or leave it. And Michelle, there is some news coming out of L.A. with the Clippers. And... There is a report that in L.A. there is an unquestioned number one with the Clippers, and it's Kawhi Leonard. His presence both instantly made the Clippers a title contender and also eventually ruffled the feathers of some teammates because of the preferential treatment showed to him from top to bottom. Players like Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, and Lou Williams, Clippers bedrocks before the arrival of Leonard, bristled when he was permitted to take games off to manage his body and to live in San Diego, which often led to him being late for team flights. Take it or leave it. The Clippers can't win with Kawhi Leonard being treated like that. I am going to take it because if you already have guys in house who are upset by that, then they're not going to just magically say, okay, it's fine. We're good. We're over it. That that tension is going to continue to build. And I don't know if you're Ty Lue, how who's coming into that situation, how you're going to be able to manage that. Because Kawhi seems like a guy who does kind of what Kawhi wants to do. And if he's already been granted these allowances, and then you come in and say, no, no, these things are off the table, well, then you have a disgruntled Kawhi. Right. One other note, for when you talk about him being allowed to do what he wants to do, the team, the the Clippers, allowed Leonard to dictate to Doc Rivers when he could be pulled from games. Oh. So he was in charge. And so that's he got the Eddie Molina treatment. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> okay, Randy. So take it or leave it. I finished 75 hard. I'm going to take it. <laughs> You're mentally tough. I'm... I'm I'm proud of your mental toughness. And heck, if you can make it through 16 days, you can make it through 75. No. Yes, you can. I don't think that you're taking a negative attitude here. Is the barometer of saying, okay, we've we've gotten past the the tough spot here. But thank you. I like your confidence in me. You're mentally tough. I think you could do a hundred hard. This is not phase you at all. Not yet, but it might at some point. <laughs>
Scotty, what do you got for us? 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Take it or leave it. The MLB will regret not handing out harsher punishments if the Astros end up going to the World Series. Take it. I'm going to leave it because I think more people are talking about them, especially on a national scale. More people will be tuned in because they're going to hate watch the Astros and not want them to win, which are both big wins for baseball. This one from the 314. It's a bit of a hot take, but take it or leave it. The Blues end up losing Vladdy in the protection or the expansion draft, and he goes to Seattle. The Blues add Patrick Laine. I'm going to leave it, and the reason is because I don't think with his shoulder that a team will, even if they have to get to the salary floor, take a guy who has a balky shoulder for two years at $7.5 million per. That's what I was thinking, is how many people would say, oh, okay, multiple shoulder surgeries. Even though Vladdy is obviously a premier talent, I just think injuries like that, multiple injuries like that in the same spot would make teams wary when they're building like that. From the 314, take it or leave it. Jordan Hicks has the most saves for the Cardinals in 2021. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that, too. We forget about him coming back. Yeah. Hicks, Brebia, Michaelis, three more pitchers coming back. Text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for take it or leave it. From the 636, take it or leave it. The Cardinals would have not hired Jeff Albert had they known about the Astros scandal. I'm going to leave that. Albert had spent five years in the Cardinal organization. Mm-hmm. He worked with Mike Schilt during those years. The Cardinals were familiar with him. He had coached some of their guys, specifically Matt Carpenter, at the minor league level. And I believe he got hired more for what he had done in the Cardinal system and because mm-hmm. of his knowledge of the system and their knowledge of him than what happened in the Astros minor leagues. But I'm going to take it because, especially with what happened prior with the hacking scandal, if they would have known about that prior, I think they would have wanted to avoid any sort of bad PR that attaches them to cheating anymore. Even though they they really liked him and they were looking at what he did with the Cardinals, if they knew or they had any inkling that it would be bad press for them, hey, the Cardinals hired a cheater, I think they would have avoided it. So along those lines then, take it or leave it, With the way the Cardinals have evaluated minor league players, you would be on board with the Cardinals hiring Jeff Luno and putting him in charge of their minor league system. Interesting. They did have success with him. So did Houston. Yep. You know, gosh, that is such a morality debate for me Mm -hmm. because people do deserve second chances. However... And you would like to hope that the success he had in St. Louis was not, you know, there was obviously no evidence Mm -hmm. that he was cheating then. But I would be very wary. It's basically, do do you want to say, hey, we're going to rehabilitate the image of somebody who was known to cheat and have to deal with that? And then that's always going to be a stain on them, too, no matter what. Even if everything he ever did was legitimate, you know that would be something people said about the Cardinals. Oh, they bring in Jeff Lunau, the cheater, and then they start winning again? Hmm, It would be definitely something for people to hold against the Cardinals because they hate the Cardinals. They brought McGuire back into the family. Ryan Franklin works for their organization. You know, I might take it. I'm, I think I would take it because they're, they're also at a place right now where I think they care. Well, I think that I don't think they make their decisions based on what the fan base has to say. But those are the people that they're serving. Those are the people that they need to put through the turnstiles every year, especially when they're allowed back into the ballpark. And these people just want to see a winner. Bill DeWitt says to his staff every day, what is our competitive advantage? That's one question that Jeff Luno can answer. He can give you a competitive advantage 
Sometimes it's kind of nefarious, but he can give you one and tell you what it is. Just change the passwords. Exactly. Time. Just change the go. passwords. <laughs> the 636, take it or leave it. Astros players that were involved in the cheating scandal will sign for less money than expected in free agency. I believe George Springer will, but if Correa becomes a free agent, I think he'll get a monster contract. I also think if they were signed for less money, that it's due to the financial situation yeah, of baseball. That's right why now. I think Springer would. Yeah, yeah, it not won't, because it has of nothing their to do with cheating. Right. From the 636, take it or leave it. Mo has not watched a single second of either LCS. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that too. He is. Do you think he's hate watching or do you think he's depressed or just bummed? I don't know how he could hate watch because he should only be mad at Because he, he's a. Darn I hate this. Because of Rosarena and Ozuna do something every day. Who do you think hates watching it more, Dewitt or Mo? Dewitt. Do you think he's hate? Do you think he's watching every game? Yeah, I, there's no doubt about it, and probably kind of frustrated. Man. I would think. From the three one four, take it or leave it. Sunny side eggs up are the only way to eat eggs. Totally leave it. Totally leave it. Love a scrambled egg. I, I love a scrambled egg as well. When I order eggs in a restaurant, when we used to have restaurants, I ordered <laughs> them scrambled, and I have an omelet pretty much every morning for breakfast for my protein. We still have restaurants, Randy. Just have to follow the protocols, or okay. you could get curbside. I can do curbside, but curbside support your local restaurants. Yeah, getting cur- cur- not that this is something that you shouldn't do. It's just something that I wouldn't do is getting curbside eggs and then trying to bring them home. I don't, yeah, I don't know how well curbside eggs would hold. Yeah. Especially if you've got a little bit of a drive. Right. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Next up, we've got a a new fun game. It's going to work or don't bet on it. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 802 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So I have learned within the last two minutes that (laughs) our room does a great job of averaging things out because Michelle never has and still does not eat fast food. Don't like it. And Scott Manziara has it pretty much every single day. Used to, used to. Used to, Come on, take it easy on me, Randy. Well, uh, used to until like two weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Because it doesn't make it any better. Basically, what we've got is somebody that has fast food every other day, but it's Scott every day and then Michelle never. You know, there are certain things from fast food that I've had that I've liked, but I just grew up never being allowed to have it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even an option for me in my mind, unless you're on a road trip or like if I was here in St. Louis, I would never get fast food ever on a road trip. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to swing through a Chick-fil-A or whatever, because it's our only option. But it's just not really an option for me here. I'd rather go home and make something. Chick-fil-A is exquisite fast food, though. It's really good. It's a little bit different. Also, Raisin Cane's. When I was at LSU, I know they have it here, too. Raisin Cane's, exceptional. Michelle, the Colts are scheduled to host the Bengals on Sunday at noon St. Louis time. But the Colts announced today that several members of their organization have tested positive for the coronavirus. They have shut down the facility in Indy and still no word as to whether or not they'll play that game. Every day we come in here and there's another breaking news alert on ESPN about another football team, whether it's college football or NFL, having positive COVID tests. And... 
I'm, I'm glad that they're trying to find a way to reschedule these games or to postpone them. And the fact that, you know, they're not calling all of these right away. They're waiting to see how it plays out because we certainly do want the seasons to continue and mm-hmm. we want to watch football. But it's just, you, you know, the more that this pops up, the more you have to wonder, are they going to be able, is this thing going to snowball? Are they going to be able to finish this? None of us know, do we? No. But it's hard to imagine that you can have this many, and something happens all the time. It's hard to imagine that you could have this many positive tests throughout the NFL and college football and be able to complete the season. One note here, this is Adam Schefter with a statement from the Colts. It says, this morning we were informed that several individuals within our organization have tested positive for COVID-19. The team is currently in the process of confirming those tests. In the meantime, the practice facility will be closed and the team will work remotely while following NFL protocols. We're in communication with the NFL and we will have information when it's available. Still no word on it as to whether or not that uh, Bengals-Colts game will be played on Sunday. Those NFL offices in New York, I, I know that with a lot of things, especially with leagues trying to figure this out for the first time, kind of in real time when you're not in a bubble, you don't really know what's going to happen. But I'm sure anytime the phone rings or they check their email, they're just like, oh, my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. What are we going to what are we going to do now? Because it doesn't it doesn't seem like without a bubble that it's going. To, but baseball figured it out. Baseball was able to figure it out. They did. You know, but they only had it really happen with two teams. But you just, you yeah, two you, you team have, outbreaks. But you, you just have to work your way through it. That's the key is yeah. you have to find a way to work your way through it. One other quick note, and most of you already know this by now, but Le'Veon Bell signed a deal with the Chiefs, the Super Bowl champion Chiefs yesterday. Uh, they lost Damian Williams, their starting running back, who had a very good Super Bowl. Le'Veon Bell is 28 years old. And he had such an ability to make a bad offensive line look better than it really was. I don't know if he still has that because the last time he was a productive player in the NFL was 2017. Didn't play at all in 2018. Has been horrible in 19 and 20 so far. I'm interested to see what Andy Reid and the Chiefs are able to get out of him. So am I. And think about if he is able to give you what you think Le'Veon Bell can give you. And you're this Chiefs team already. Adding him to the mix. He... uh, if he's what he was, man, he can be great. Even if you can get, what, 80% of what he was? Right. And nobody did a better job of literally stopping, and then his first step back just took off. He he could find that hole. He, he was a, a poor man's Marshall Falk. He's a great receiver out of the backfield. He, he doesn't have the explosiveness of Marshall, but there's so many things you can do do with him. I'm shocked that Adam Gase couldn't figure out how to use him because Gase is a Mart's protege, but he just couldn't figure out how to use him. All right, we've got a new game. It's called It's Gonna Work or Don't Bet on It. Okay, well, let's just start, pick up where you just left off, Le'Veon Bell. One-year deal with the Chiefs, Randy. Do you think it's gonna work out or would you say don't bet on it? I believe it's going to work out. I think that Andy Reid and his staff, along with the former running back, Eric Bieniemy, have a great idea as to how to use a back. Reid has had a similar guy in Brian Westbrook in the past in Philadelphia. So I am going to say that that one's going to work out. I think it's going to work out, too, because it's a one-year deal. It seems like two years plus, that's when he starts to say, things aren't working out for me. Mm-hmm. I want to push my way out of here. So I think a one-year deal with Le'Veon Bell, hopefully it works out. All right, well, what about Tyron Lue? Right? We have a lot of, of transaction stuff going on in the sports world, but what about Tyron Lue? Five-year deal to coach the L.A. Clippers. Randy, is it going to work or don't bet on it? Don't bet on it. Tyron Lue won with LeBron. Let's be honest. 
all due respect to Tyron Lue, LeBron was the coach of that team. If you're trying to make Kawhi the coach of your team, I think it's a little bit different animal. LeBron understands. He's been there. And like he said, he learned how to win when he went to Miami. And being with Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra really benefited him. I don't believe that because Kawhi won with Toronto that Nick Nurse taught him how to lead and be the head of a franchise and be a coach. Kawhi is going to be the coach again, and Tyron Lue is going to be subservient to him, and I don't think it's going to work nearly as well for Lue with Kawhi as it did with LeBron. In sports, sometimes, or really in, in any managing experience, sometimes you just need a new voice. And I think the Clippers were at the position where they needed a new voice. We we certainly found out about the locker room tension and all sorts of dysfunction happening in that space and in that organization. And I think even though Doc Rivers was a great coach, it probably was time to try to freshen it up and bring in somebody else. However, if you're Tyron Lue, you're entering an already fractured locker room with a hierarchy that you're going to have to try to fix. You're looking at a situation where this was a team who massively underachieved this year. And so the pressure is on from day one that you accept this job. You're looking at a situation where Kawhi and Paul George are going to be free agents after 2021. And you're already looking at, oh, this is going to be a tough West. So if you don't, if you don't get this done within one year, the clock has been ticking, ticking, ticking already. So I don't think it's going to work out. When you give a player that much control, the Blues had that situation here with Brett Hull. The Cardinals have that situation now with Yadier Molina. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You cannot put that toothpaste back in, or i.e. take that level of control away from a player. There's no way that ends well. Especially a guy like Kawhi. Right. Who is Correct. the best player in your team. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Randy. So we know Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. And he is saying that he wants to coach versus Georgia this weekend. We know it's a huge matchup. He says he would like to be a part of the game, but that NCAA rules prohibit in-game communication with anyone on the staff while he's currently quarantining. And he can't travel to the stadium while in quarantine either. But... Here's what Saban has floated out there. If he has three negative tests, including the second two in a 24 hour span, he could conceivably be cleared to return to athletic activities before Saturday's game in Tuscaloosa. A lot of things have to fall his way, Randy. So what do you think? It's going to work. We'll see Nick Saban out there on Saturday or don't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it. He just learned the positive test on Wednesday. So basically what he's hoping to have is negative tests yesterday and then two today or maybe one today and one tomorrow morning, I would not bet on that. And if I were the University of Alabama with what we know about COVID-19, even if he tested positive, I want him quarantined under CDC regulations for at least 10 days. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to work out either. I appreciate his tenacity. I appreciate that he cares so much about his team, that he's trying to figure out a way to be there. I can see him kind of like... uh, you know, Claire Danes in Homeland trying to figure out on the wall, okay, what has to go right for me to get there? I know that he probably doesn't want to relinquish any control, especially in a big game like this, but I don't know how you're going to get all of that to fall your way and then have everybody just be on board with you going there. I do believe that because of the circumstances of COVID-19, the NCAA should relax the rules. And if there is a way technically for him to have a headset while he's sitting at home on his Barco lounger, I think he should have 
access to the coaching staff, just like he would if he were on the sidelines. He should just have his Motorola headset on, kind of like he's playing a video game Yeah. while he's watching the game. I agree with that. I don't know why that would be prohibited. Maybe other coaches who had dealt with this might take a little umbrage to that because you don't want Nick Saban to get any mm-hmm. sort of special treatment. But I don't know why coaches, if they're quarantining at home, I know it might be difficult logistically if there's a delay in their feed or, you know, trying to process and pass on information. It might be a little di- a difficult, but I don't know why you wouldn't allow it. And there hasn't been a coach that's had to deal with it yet. He'd be the first, so they can just relax it for everybody. Okay, Randy, last one. Daryl Moore of the Rockets, he's stepping away as their general manager. 13 years that he was with Houston, by the way. So what do you think? He resigned. His resignation is going to be effective on November 1st. Do you think that it's going to work out with the Rockets without Daryl Moore or don't bet on it? I think it's going to work out because his replacement has been with Moore for almost the entire time that he's been there. Daryl Moore is the father of analytics in the NBA. And the reason that we have a team like the Golden State Warriors shooting all those threes and the teams, the, the reason that teams in general are shooting as many threes as they are, that we saw the Miami Heat do what they did in the playoffs is because of Daryl Morey and preaching what he does. And the Rockets are going to have the same philosophy. I think we're more likely to see an issue with the Rockets because of the departure of Mike D'Antoni. They have to get the right coach. But in terms of Philosophy, I'm okay with the fact that they'll have a decent replacement for Daryl Morey. Yeah, the person you're referring to is Raphael Stone. He Mm -hmm. was their executive vice president of basketball operations. He's been with Daryl Morey and in that organization for a long time. So it should be kind of a transference of the same sort of identity. But I remember Daryl Morey coming on with us when I worked at ESPN on Russell and Canal, and he talked about how he they had specifically built that team with one goal in mind, and that was to beat the Warriors. Mm -hmm. And you have to adjust as as that goes on. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do without Daryl Morey. And you can't do... You can try to beat the Warriors, but then you build a team where your center is 6'6". They played small ball this year. That's not going to work either. So they do have to adjust some things. And Daryl Morey is going to stick around to help them find their next coach, whoever it might be. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And that is our new fun game. It's going to work or don't bet on it here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to head to the... Air Comforts are the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. I've got this all confused today. <laughs> Either way, right. Joey Vitale is going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The outstanding analyst for St. Louis Blues Hockey on 101 ESPN is Joey Vitale. He's also a foodie. <laughs> and this morning we've been talking about Michelle's uh, apparent hatred of broccoli. And <laughs> so, like so Joey V, we're, we're doing the 75 hard thing where we have to be on a good diet. We have to exercise. And I'm telling Michelle that I'm, I'm on board with grilled chicken and I find ways to make grilled chicken and broccoli good. And I want to know if, if she's right that there's no way that broccoli can be good or if I'm right that you can find a way to properly prepare broccoli to make it enticing. Well, see, that's the problem, Randy, is that when people go like uh, on these diets or they want to like take care of themselves, I feel like cauliflower and broccoli, they're very accessible and they're the one of the go-to vegetables for people who want to kind of, you know, cut back or trim down. I've done it myself. And, and, and why that is, I think it's because you look at the grocery stores and they have those pre-made bags with broccoli and cauliflower in them where you just pop them in the microwave. So they're very accessible for people. So broccoli kind of comes to mind. But the problem with it is 
people just throw them in the microwave or they just steam them. And what do they taste like? They kind of taste like steamed broccoli. But 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 there is a way to do it. There there is a way to do it. And like my nana always told me, God rest her soul, she's been gone twenty years. Whenever in doubt, just add Parmesan cheese. She used to add Parmesan cheese. She used to pile up the Parmesan cheese. I'll never forget. I'm making spaghetti at her house, uh, old home, and she's got the wood spoon, and she's shaving Parmesan on my spaghetti. And she said to me, you can never have too much of Parmesan, Joey. And she was, I mean, it was a mound, a mound of Parmesan. And you know what? She's not wrong. And not with noodles, but with broccoli. So, uh, Michelle, if you're having problems with broccoli, I always just say get a good block a nice 24-month age Parmigiano Reggiano from Parma mm-hmm. and just shade that thing right on top with some really good extra virgin olive oil, really good stuff from the hill, and then you're going to be all set. Joey, your grandma, wise woman, wise woman. That's obviously great advice, but I think we're supposed to be avoiding a lot of cheese. Who said that? Don't <laughs> listen to these people. I tell you what, that, that really grinds my gears, these people with, oh, watch the dairy, watch the fast. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I mean, just you can learn a lot from history. You know, were, were there a lot of people that were obese and overweight and have a heart disease 100 years ago, 200, 300, 400? No. What do they eat? They eat their pigs. They eat the guanciale. They eat the fat. They, they had the extra virgin olive. They loaded up on the cheese, everything from the sheep they used. I mean, to me, it's just about getting that wholesome animal. Get the butter. Get the good butter, though. You know what I mean? Don't, don't get away from the box stuff. Get away from all that. The good fats, the good olive oils, the good butters, the good cheeses, all the meats. Uh, the more fat, the more merry. You really want a good marble on the meat. If you do that, you're going to be in good health. Trust me. You, you heard it from Joey first. <laughs> a doctor once told me, Joey, shop the perimeter of the grocery store. Shop the produce aisle. You get to the meats. You get to the dairies. You get to the, uh, the, the bakery area that they make if you're going to do it. Stay away from all the processed stuff in the middle. And then if you want to be healthy, just shop the perimeter of a grocery store. Perimeter, that's an incredibly, incredibly insightful, Randy, and that's that's what I try to do. And and so when you do that, keep this in mind too. When you come home with this food, which is generally supposed to be cold, uh, you're going to need more room in your refrigerator than your pantry. So that's the other thing. A lot of people, uh, people's pantries are three times the size of the refrigerators when it should be the other way around. Uh, you should have a fridge in the kitchen. You should have a fridge in the garage if you can get it. Um, so because you, your capacity, your space in your house should be more driven towards keeping stuff cold than, than keeping stuff at, at room temperature. And that's something when, when my pantry gets a little too full, I tell my wife, we got to cut back. We got we to we move some stuff around. We got to get rid of some of the stuff. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It's a really good thing to keep in mind. Uh, things should be kept cold. That means that they're going to spoil very quickly. I would say everything except oats. Oats is probably the only thing yeah. I shop in the middle of the store for because I love a good steel cut oat. Steel cut oats, they take a long time, but they're definitely worth it. Great advice, Joey. See, we can bring you on to talk about anything. You're the best. But I'm sure people want us to talk a little blues hockey. So we had Alex Petrangelo on the station. He had a great interview with Ribs and BK this week. And it just seems like listening to him, listening like the, to the blues side of things, that both parties had their stance and they weren't willing to bend. And even though both parties have a lot of mutual love and respect for each other, that it was never going to work out. They were never going to come to an agreement. Yeah, I would say that's that's fair. Uh, that that's kind of the vibe I got, you know, a couple of weeks ago, leading into free agency, and and you know, it, it's tough. I mean, you know, Petro obviously he wants to go out um, on a good note with the St. Louis Blues, uh, but also I feel like he wanted to move on. So how do you strike that balance? Uh, and I think for a player, you strike it by moving on, a, but also letting the fan base know that you tried everything you could uh, to stay. You know, how, how truthful is that? You know, we'll never really know. I think he handled it about himself the right way. There's no easy way 
to leave on a good note and then leave. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like we look at Albert Pujols. Uh, that, that was a tough departure as well. It's going to be tough. You know, what I will say about it, though, is uh, I just applaud our general manager for how he handled himself throughout all of this. You know, we'll find out probably the details somewhere down the road about the negotiations, but I don't even care about the negotiations. Uh, our general manager in Doug Armstrong, he had some sort of insight. He had some sort of intuition leading into Friday morning of free agency that this thing would not get done. Nothing was official yet, but he must have gotten a good feel or good sense that this would probably not get done with Petro. So he had to go out there and aggressively get the second best defense on the market. And he not only got him, uh, he landed him for a really good price tag, I believe. Because the worst case scenario would have been, as we all know, you kind of feel like Petro could still happen. Maybe you don't have a good grip on the situation. You wait, you wait, you wait. All of a sudden, Tory Krug is picked up by the Carolina Hurricanes, for example. And then three, late, three days later, you're sitting here without a good defenseman. So that's, that's not where Doug Armstrong wanted to be. Uh, he's one of the greatest uh, general managers in the game right now because of how aggressive he is. He reminds me a lot of Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. When he sees an issue, he aggressively goes out and he attacks it. And, and for that reason, guys, I really feel like we're still in a very, very good spot. In some ways, even better. Joey, it seems to me that one of the things that Doug Armstrong has done, and I would assume that it's by design, is built himself a pretty good power play. Krug, as great as Petro is, he's not the power play quarterback that I think Krug is. And they got Falk because of his power play shot, and he, he never really had that opportunity. Plus Pareko on the point. I think the Blues have a chance, and with Jim Montgomery on the coaching staff, to have a really a great power play. Well, I just mentioned that in some ways the Blues will be better. And to me, this is probably the number one way the Blues have improved. If their power play is going to be much better. I mean, look at Jim Montgomery, just for example, as the assistant coach. You have a lot more knowledge. You know, no disrespect to Sabbath, but you know, you have so much more knowledge now on the bench as far as a coach that was in Dallas. He saw Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn and Klingberg and all these guys move the puck around. So he's got that expertise. But let's put Jim Montgomery aside for right now and focus on Tory Krug. Tory Krug is going to improve this power play for many different reasons. Uh, one, the mind. He's got the mind for a power play. Why? Because he's been with the greatest power play, one of the best power plays in the league for the last decade uh, with the Boston Bruins. He understands what Marchand was doing, what Bergeron was trying to do, Krejci. He's going to have a wealth of knowledge and experience where he's going to step into these power play meetings with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. And he's going to say, this is good, Jimmy. This is good, Monty. But hey, check this out. What if we did this? And he kind of, he's going to have that mind and that experience uh, and the pedigree now to come into meetings and say, let's try things maybe a different way here. Let's move this guy over here. So number one, that's what Tori Cruz is going to do. He's going to have a good mind for the power play. Uh, a technical thing, which uh, a lot of people probably have overlooked, um, but as you mentioned, I'm, I'm one of the best, uh, Randy, so I haven't you overlooked are. it. Yeah. But um, is, uh, he's a left shot, right? Petra was a righty. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because I believe that David Prawn is your biggest threat now on this power play with Vladimir Tarasenko out. Uh, David Prawn, when he's setting up on that left side, he's in his one-timer position, okay? So defensively, when you have Petro out there, follow me here, Petro's a righty, and he's giving it to another righty in Perron. So your only one-timer threat is now David Perron. So as a defender, I'm guarding for the one-timer and David Perron. If Perry goes back up to Petro at the point, uh, that's fine, but Petro's not a one-timer in that position. So you have time to get reset. Now with Tory Krug as a lefty, he's going to be at the top of the point where Petro was. He's a lefty feeding it to a righty. So it's a lefty feeding to uh, David Perron, who is a one-timer threat. And now Perron is going to feed it back to Tory Krug, who is now an, also a one-timer threat because he's a left-handed shot compared to a right-hander in Petro. So it's going to be a great one-timer threat option the Blues have now at the point that they haven't had for some time. 
especially with Vladimir Tarasenko in the lineup who loves to play on his offside, which forces David Perron on his offside. So really there's no really one-timer threat except the Petro. But now with Perron on the right, on his strong side, you have Krug now in a one-timer position, um, and now Braden Chen as well on the far side is one-timer position. So one-timing threat is something the Blues have really lacked in the last couple of years. Uh, and I think that that is something that has really kind of driven this power play away from success. So now with Tory Krug out there, you have one-timer options. He's an incredible visionary on the power play. He'll look one way, dish another way. Just great concept for the game, great mind for the game. And not to mention, guys, he's, he's hungry. Let's keep this in mind. Uh, you know, having a Stanley Cup for Petro, uh, and I'm not saying this, this is the case, but for a lot of players, you win a Stanley Cup, you've done what he's done, he's made all the money he can make. You know, you worry about, is he going to take the foot off the gas a little bit? Well, with Tory Krug, I know that it will never happen because you have a kid that's been there twice, has never won a cup. Uh, St. Louis is really going to embrace this kid. He's young, he's undersized, but he's feisty. God, he brings his work, work bucket to work every single day. He plays with his heart on his sleeve, and this is kind of the, the Blues brand of hockey that this fan, this fan base is really going to fall in love with Tory Krug. Great analysis, Joey. I can just feel Blues fans smiling as they're listening to you break that down. But there's a couple of members of this Blues team that we hope takes the next step in one way or another. So I'm going to give you three guys. Tell me who you think has the most pressure on them to take that next step this season. Robert Thomas, Justin Falk, or Colton Pareko? Justin Falk. Just Justin Falk. You didn't, even, you didn't even need to give me the three. You didn't even need to give me the three, Michelle. I, I, was, gonna, I was just going to say Justin Falk, but I want to kind of give you uh, to go. It's Justin Falk, guys. It's Justin Falk. Uh, the pressure's on him. Uh, every Blues player's at home right now or here in St. Louis training and rehabbing, and I put my mind in every player's head right now in the mental space of being in the offseason. I've, I've been in that spot. You know, you're trying to get ready for the next season, high expectations, low expectations, whatever it is. But in that mental space, I feel like the most pressure uh, needs to fall on Justin Falk. This young man's making $9 million next year. Uh, I know it's not going to be his average over the next five to six years, but he is making $9 million uh, next year. You were brought in as a security blanket in case you lost Petro, which the Blues did. Um, you were a standout defenseman, the number one guy in Carolina. Doug Armstrong brought you to St. Louis, not to be the number one guy, but to definitely be a top four guy, a guy that can eat up 22, 23 minutes of good hockey get in on the offense, shut things down defensively, and, and basically grab a game when, when, when the team needs it. Uh, was he that this year? I think he'd be the first one to tell you that he wasn't. That wasn't an adjustment? Absolutely. You can't take anything away from the fact that he's, he's only been with one organization his whole career. You come to St. Louis, they just won the Cup. I mean, keep this in mind, guys. He gets here, they go to Washington, D.C. He stays at the hotel while the team goes to meet the president. Uh, the ring ceremony. He's at his hotel room while the rest of the team's in the ring ceremony. He kind of had to feel out of place there for a little while. So I think the Blues kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt here for the first couple months. But then kind of Christmas and January rolls around. We're still not really seeing anything yet. But again, he's playing those fifth, sixth defensive minutes when he's used to 23, 24 minutes, not to mention being on the top power play there in Carolina. So a lot of things, I think, disturbed Justin Falk. So I completely understand why maybe this year was a lot of growing pains. But that year's behind you, and now you got to look at year two. I really enjoyed watching him there in the playoffs in Edmonton. I loved the way he played when he was getting more commanding minutes because Pareko and Petrangelo's game had slid a little bit. So you got to put him up there and give him more minutes. And when you fed the monster, he really kind of, uh, I think, really relished in that role, and it kind of got him back to maybe the Carolina style where he was playing a lot more minutes. Well, now Petro's gone. Pareko's going to be your number one guy on the right. You are the number two guy on the right. You're going to be in top four minutes. So the, the opportunity is going to be there. You're not going to fall down to the third pair anymore. 
You're not going left. You're not going back to the right side. You're not mixing it up. You're playing on the right side, and you're going to be our number two right-handed defenseman to eat up top four minutes. Uh, the, the pressure has got to be on Justin Falk. He's got to come up this year, and he's got to play that commanding style that he did in Carolina because that's why Doug Armstrong got him. Joey, is always great stuff. Have a wonderful weekend, sir. Rainy Michelle, you guys have a wonderful weekend. It got a little chilly. It's starting to get a little chilly. Falls <laughs> in the air, but you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Michelle, you can always you can always make pesto with broccoli. People always forget about that uh-huh. pesto with some pistachios makes a really good um, uh, makes a really good pesto with some good olive oil. Keep that in mind as well. Throw it on pasta, vegetables, whatever you want. That's the play, Joey. Thank you. I like that a lot. You're welcome. You always have great stuff for us. See you later. Anytime. That is our friend Joey Vitale on 101 ESPN. See, he gives you ideas. The pesto. There you go. Yeah. I love pesto. And Parmesan. And Parmesan. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little Parmesan, right? No, you can't go wrong Shaved with that. Shaved Parmigiano, Reggiano. Oh, yeah. That's... You, you Italian people. That's why this is so difficult for me. We eat. <laughs> I know. We love to eat. <laughs> Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's Friday and it's 8:39. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we have the fight before us. And who is our challenger today, Scott? Will. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm well, doing good. Thanks for asking. We are doing good. Thank you for joining us. Oh. How, how's your week been? It's Friday. Oh, it's been good. It's been pretty quick, so that, that helps. I no. do feel like the weeks are flying by much quicker than they did prior. But, you know, during quarantine, time kind of stood still. So at least now we have kind Agreed. of a routine. And uh, I I actually lost 50 pounds since January going doing the ACG diet and Slim 180. So I have an idea what you guys are going through. Oh, my gosh. Well, congratulations. Well, wow. That's so impressive. Okay, so you've been eating a lot of veggies then since January. You got to give me some tips because... It's only been 16 days, and I am about veggied out. So what are some of your favorite things to eat on, on, on your healthy track? I like uh, just roasting, um, like roasted Brussels sprouts or even broccoli is pretty good with some, uh, let's see, a little olive oil, some balsamic, some um, garlic, and salt and pepper. All right. And and actually the cheese that... Um, your uh, Parmesan cheese is actually not that bad for you. It's it's very low calories and it's vo- low. Um, there's very little to it. So I love to hear that, Will. A better thing. I yeah. eat that all the time. So. <laughs> My biggest thing is though too is just to lay low on the carbs. That's that's what I've been doing. Just laying low on the carbs and pretty much not worrying about calories or and or anything else. Yeah, well, I've been so laying low on the carbs too, but I think that's why I'm hangry. <laughs> I think that's why I'm hangry. <laughs> But anyway, okay. Yeah, well, you have been kicking some butt, losing some weight. So let's see if you can do the same with Randy. Question number right. one: Missouri native, Missouri native Tyron Lue was hired as the head of the LA Clipper as the head coach of the LA Clippers yesterday. As a player, do you remember what NBA team he made his debut with in the 1998-1999 season? Was it the Nuggets, the Magic, or the Lakers? I have to say the Magic. 
Question number two for you, Will. There's been some rumors about A.J. Green wanting to be traded away from the Bengals, but he said yesterday he wants to stay with Cincinnati. Now, where did A.J. Green play college football? Was he at Georgia? Was he at Ohio State? Or was he at Clemson? Georgia. Okay, well, Clayton Kershaw made the start for the Dodgers last night. How many Cy Youngs has Clayton Kershaw won? One, two, or three? I'll say two. And your final question, Will, who is the first team that Tony La Russa managed? The Oakland A's, the Arizona Diamondbacks, or the Chicago White Sox? White Sox. Okay, we are checking our scores here. Randy is on his way in. I got some broccoli in my future. It's not that I bad. Need a, I, need a, I need a lot of luck here. All <laughs> that. I don't know. Have more confidence, Will. You never know. These are uh, This is a wide variety of questions today. We've got... Some national stuff, some baseball stuff, some local stuff. We'll see how Randy does. Randy, say good morning to Will. Hi, Will. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Thank you very much for getting me on to the HCG diet. I appreciate it, sir. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're doing it. How's everything going? I lost 50 pounds since January. So awesome. It's good to go. Good for you. Glad to hear it. All right, Randy. Here's the fight. Question okay. number one. Missouri native Tyron Liu was hired as the head coach of the L.A. Clippers yesterday. As a player, what NBA team did he make his debut with in the 1998-1999 season? I'm going to go with the Wizards. Question number two for you, Randy. There's been some rumors about A.J. Green wanting to be traded away from the Bengals, but he said yesterday he wants to stay in Cincinnati. Now, where did A.J. Green play college football? Georgia. Randy Clayton Kershaw made the start for the Dodgers last night. How many Cy Youngs has Clayton Kershaw won? I think that he has won three or four. I'll go with three. And your final question, Randy. Who is the first team that Tony LaRussa managed? In Major League Baseball? Yes. The White Sox. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. It was a close fight today. Three to two. Sorry, Will. Yeah. He just barely beat you. Okay, so Tyron Lowe, the new head coach of the L.A. Clippers, Missouri native, of course. As a player, he made his NBA debut with the Lakers mm. in the 1998-1999 mm. season. A.J. Green did play his college football at Georgia. Clayton Kershaw has won three Cy Young Awards. Do you remember the years, Randy? No. 2011, 2013, 2014. And the first team that Tony LaRusso managed is the Chicago White Sox. Will, thank you so much for playing and keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I love you guys. I love waking up to you guys. We appreciate that very much. And, and like Michelle said, and I echo that, congratulations on the 50 pounds. That's awesome. Proud of you. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Will on 101 ESPN. That's cool to hear. Yeah, Randy, and he said he was going to Slim 180 after yeah. your weight loss. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good to hear. Coming up on Carriker and Smallman, we're going to talk to Frank Viverito of the Sports Commission. St. Louis getting some great events coming up later in the decade, and we're going to talk to Frank about those next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One of the things that makes St. Louis the best sports town in America is the best 
Sports Commission in America, and the president of the St. Louis Sports Commission is Frank Viverito. He's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Frank, it is great to have you with us as you cap off a great week. How are you doing this morning? Anytime I can get introduced like that, how could I be doing anything other than great? That's good to hear. And congratulations on all the NCAA awards on Wednesday. It really is remarkable what St. Louis is able to accomplish when you get get together, we all work together, we have the right facilities, and then obviously can show ourselves off as the best sports city in America. We do, and and uh, um, I, I can tell you that the competition is is getting you know ridiculous for these events. Uh, you know, twenty years ago it was a breeze, and 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 now it's it's a real challenge. You know, everybody has has discovered the value of these events, and uh, you know we we have a head start because we've been in the business uh, for a while, and, and you're exactly right. We we have a great team that that we work with. And, you know, when you say St. Louis is, is the best sports town, it, it really is. And, and, and the sports history here that, that, you know, some people don't even know all about it is incredible. And, and I love the fact that, you know, that and we'll talk about the musical awards, what good sports we are. So it's, it's not just the passion. It's also the history and the sportsmanship. Frank, I, I want to start with the 2023 Division II Women's golf at Fox Run. I'm a member at Fox Run. I've volunteered at several NCAA events yeah. out there, and it's a fantastic venue for for college vo- golf. But I think people will be stunned to witness how great college golfers are. It, they are fabulous. Um, we love events that uh, uh, women's events. Uh, hats off to Omsol for, for you know writing this bid and, and for being successful bring it in into town. Uh, I think back to the uh, Curtis Cup that we hosted at, at uh, uh, St. Louis Country Club a, a, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, these, these young women are absolutely incredible golfers. And, and it's nice to have a variety of championship events. You know, the big ones are, are big deals. But uh, uh, I would tell anybody if they came out to see this, they'd enjoy it. Frank, you mentioned the Mutual Awards, which we look forward to every year. And this year, it's a very special Mutual Awards because you're celebrating Stan Mutual's 100th birthday. So can you tell us what the St. Louis Sports Commission has going on for this special event? Sure. So so the, the live show at Stiefel Theater was supposed to be on Stan's actual birthday, November 21st. So on that day, we have a few special things that are that are coming up. We're going to do a live birthday party for Stan Social Distance at, at uh, Bush Stadium. We're going to have a drive-by birthday party at the Musial Statue. Um, we've created a uh, Stan Tennial party box that, that people can purchase, which includes a gorgeous coffee table book on uh, Stan's 100 years and, and 15 years of the Musical Awards uh, detailing all of our uh, honorees since the show uh, moved to St. Louis uh, 15 years ago. We're going to have a uh, uh, an hour-long uh, 100th birthday special that evening, the 21st, on uh, Channel 5 that uh, Mike Bush will be doing for us. And Mike's been our uh, Musical Awards MC for... Uh, uh, for all 15 years, and, and then we're getting ready for 
uh, part two of our Musial Awards celebration, which is the national broadcast of, of this year's Musial Awards uh, on CBS the day after Christmas, Saturday, December 26th at 4 p.m. Central Time. And I could not be more excited about our two highest profile honorees this year. It's uh, Hank Aaron receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award, and, and his interview will be done on that broadcast by Bob Costas. And, and then our extraordinary character uh, honoree this year is Bubba Wallace, and his interview will be done on the national broadcast by James Brown of, uh, of CBS. So uh, uh, we're taking a step up. We're disappointed that uh, we can't do a live show at Stiefel, but it's still going going to be a, a wonderful celebration. And again, to celebrate Stan's birthday, you also have the favorite Stan Musial moments that people can share at the website. Yes. Uh, you click onto our website at musialawards.com and uh, share your moment with Stan. Uh, I can tell you that the Musial family is so excited to hear from people who have fond memories of, of not just Stan, but, but Stan and Lil as well. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so the family gets to read all those, uh, uh, all those birthday wishes, and it, it's so gratifying to see the generations of, of Musials that, that, that care and connect and, and uh, you know, love what we're doing. His two daughters, Janet and Jean, live here in St. Louis, and, and several of, of, of Stan and Lil's grandchildren grandchildren. So, um, you know, we, we want this to be a, a, a moment that the community can really celebrate Stan and, and Lil and, and all the good that, that they've done and actually continue to do. Frank, one of the events that people were really looking forward to were the U.S. Olympic team trials for gymnastics. And I yes. know the original event was June 2020. It's been yes. rescheduled for June 24th through 27th, 2021. But what's the update on tickets there? How can people use the tickets that they have purchased? And I know it was sold out. So will other tickets become available? Yes. Um, it, the event was sold out. Um, we put a... Uh, 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 a refund process uh, up for for 30 days in case there were uh, individuals who uh, uh, had purchased tickets and uh, no longer were able to use them. We had about 10 percent, 15 percent of the tickets turned back, and and so um, they should go to our website and get that ticket link and uh, and and check to see if there are tickets remaining there, there may be a few added uh, as we go um, the event is basically sold out um, but because of the refund process we, we may have some uh, on sale at this point and and there may be some that that are added uh, between now and next June and we want to mention the, the five that were awarded on Wednesday, 2023 Division II Women's Golf at Fox Run. We mentioned that earlier. Plus the 2024 Division I Men's Hockey Regional at Centene. The Division Three Men's and Women's Tennis Championships at Forest Park in 2024. Also the 2025 Men's Frozen Four and the Division I Men's Basketball First and Second Rounds. Frank, is that what we missed out on this year at, at Enterprise Center? That's exactly what we missed out on this year at Enterprise Center, the men's first and second rounds. And, and so they're coming back in, in 26, and it's the, it's actually the 15th time that St. Louis has hosted NCAA postseason basketball. You know, tip of the cap to the Missouri Valley Conference, which has been the 
the, the co-host for those events, the host for those events, uh, almost exclusively. So 15 times in, in, uh, 20 something years is, is I'll put that up against any city, uh, in America and, you know, puts the, uh, renovation at enterprise center to shows it off and, and puts it to good use, a great investment in the community and, and downtown, and it's allowing us to bring these events to St. Louis. And finally, I, I go all the way back to that 1994 Olympic Festival where we oh. set records and so many people showed up, and, and we've never really stopped. And I have to believe that uh, out at Fox Run for the women's golf, or whether it is at Centene for the men's hockey regional, Saint, and the tennis, St. Louis is going to fill it up. They are, because it's the best sports fans in the country, too. Absolutely. Frank Viverito, always good to hear your voice. Have a great yes. weekend, and we'll talk again soon. Good to you. You too. Thanks very much. See you later. That's our friend Frank Viverito, the president of the St. Louis Sports Commission, joining us on 101 ESPN. Next up, today's big thing, including this date, and by the way, this weekend has some pretty big things too, in Cardinal postseason history. It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Rays pitcher Josh Fleming coming up at the bottom of the hour here on 101 ESPN, where it is 903. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Also coming up later in the show, or not our show, but on Scoops with Danny Mac, they have a very, Dan has a very special guest coming up, and he is part of today's special. 101 ESPN presents this date in Cardinal postseason history. Looking back at the journeys to 11 world championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems, the highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com. On 101 ESPN. On this date, October 16th, 1985. Dodger Stadium, the Cardinals down 5-4 in the ninth inning. Tom Needenfewer, who had allowed Ozzie Smith's go-crazy home run two days earlier, had two runners aboard for the Redbird slugger, number 22, Jack Clark. That's not it. This is a different hitter, a different slugger, who wore number five. Jack Clark was number 22. I think we were just looking at the wrong thing here. Here we go. Swinging and a long one into left field. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. A three-run homer by Clark, and the Cardinals lead by the score of 7-5, to five, and they may go to the World Series on that one, folks. And, of course, everybody in the world knew that it was out the moment Clark hit it. He looked into the Cardinal dugout and said... Uh, that's for you guys, basically. Pedro Guerrero watched the ball clear the fence. He was playing left field for the Dodgers and threw his glove down to the ground on the rope warning track in frustration. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. It was classic. The Cardinals won 7-5 and advanced to the World Series where they played the Royals, where we don't have a lot of great moments in Cardinal history. No, not so that many. World Series. Some moments. Yeah. 2011 on this date. Game six. The Cardinals trying to put the Brewers away, and the Redbirds get off to a real fast start. It's one nothing in the first, and then two on for David Freeze. First and third for the Cardinals. And Freeze launches one to left. Back is Ryan Braun at the wall, and there it goes. A three-run home run for David Freeze. 
David Fries was the NLCS MVP. The Cardinals mm-hmm. beat the Brewers, and they advanced to the 2011 World Series. That Game 6 World Series moment was so big that it... it cast such a shadow over everything that he did in the NLCS. It was incredible what he did in the NLCS. You know, he was so great leading up to that moment, but we always think of that one snapshot in our mind because that was such an iconic, highly pressurized, Mm -hmm. you know, Cardinal history type moment that we forget, oh yeah, he was the NLCS MVP too. He was pretty good. Great for the whole month. The whole month. October 17th, this is tomorrow. And the Cardinals slugger, number five, Albert Pujols. It's NLCS Game 5 against Houston. Brad Lidge, the pitcher. You remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, on the pool. In the air, left field, and Pujols has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run home run. Up to the railroad tracks. And Andy Pettit said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was one of those things where you remember the look on Astros fans' faces at Mm -hmm. that moment and the silence. Yeah, and everybody, and I have to believe the Astros were part of it, thought at that moment that the Cardinals were going to come home and win the last two. Yeah, no doubt. Because that's just what the Cardinals do. Of course. So Cardinals. But that, oh, my God. Is, Is there a more iconic moment, at least for the Cardinals, in a losing series than that one? No. That's one of those I remember where I was home runs. Right. It's kind of like for the Blues, the Monday Night Miracle came in a losing series. But for a long time until last year, that was a highlight moment in Blues history. Mm -hmm. Also on this date, 2006, NLCS Game 5 against the Mets. Cardinals are up 3-2, bottom of the sixth inning. And our late great friend Chris Duncan steps in. That is ripped in the air to right field, down the line. And Duncan, off the bench, doubles the lead. He makes it 4-2, to and the Cardinals won by that score over the Mets. And Chris with a postseason home run. Duncan off the bench, doubles the lead. What a great moment. It was fantastic. And, Michelle, there were a couple of more. Uh, there was one, and Izzy hates this, so I'm not going to play the highlight. Okay, 2004, not. Game 5 of the NLCS. Scoreless game in the ninth, and Jeff Kent hits a, a three-run walk-off homer for Houston. Yeah, let's not play that it's one. It's kind of a bummer. Big time. And uh, then Shane Robinson had a two-run single in Game 6 of the 2013 NLCS as the Cardinals advanced against the Dodgers. Sure, and, Shane. All right. Yeah, he, he was great. And then John Jay in 2012 had a two-run double in Game 4 of the National League Championship Series. Cardinals won that game, but that, of course, was against San Francisco and did not end well. Those Memphis Mafia guys had some big postseason moments. They really did. That was a mentally tough t- group, wasn't it? Yes, it was. When you have Jay and Descalso and uh, Craig, the, yep, the, the, they, they were fantastic. What a, a great group that the Cardinals brought up, not just from a physical standpoint, Cosma too, but from the perspective of just rising to the occasion. But that that was a team that we look back, and you had your superstar guys. You had your the Albert Pujolses mm-hmm. of your team. But then you had the young guys, the young prospects that had great coaching and had won at that level and then came up and contributed to a championship team. It was a great balance. And I go back to game six with the freeze home run. But in the 10th inning with the Cardinals down two, it's Descalso and Jay to start the That's inning, right. and then you'd used up the bench, so it was the pitcher's spot, and Kyle Loesch lays down the big bunt. But think about that. You're down by two, and you've got Descalso, Jay in the pitcher's spot with no bench players coming up. And those two get on, and bing, bang, boom, you get the hit from Berkman, and all of a sudden, 
They just won't go away. Huge moments. It was great. So great. We need that again. We miss that here I in did. St. Louis. It's been nine years. That's been a, that's long enough for Cardinal fans. Yeah, I would say so. I, I think Cardinal Nation's getting a little restless. So uh, what do we do about that? I don't know. How do we fix this get issue? Some, get some power. Keep our good players? Yeah, keep them. Is that a bad idea? It's not that we don't have good players. Keep our power hitters, I guess, yeah. would be the best way to hit it, to, to say it. So that is this date in Cardinal history. And Jack Clark will join Dan McLaughlin coming up on Scoops with Danny Mac at 1015 and talk about that day, that home run, that series, which was amazing. And that was my favorite season, Michelle. And I have to believe if the Cardinals had won that World Series, if Denkinger doesn't make that call, I think a lot of people would say that that was the Cardinals' greatest World Series team. Really? Yeah, 314 stolen bases, led the league in runs scored. The starting pitching was great. Until that game with Denkinger, Cardinals never lost a game all season long that they led after the seventh inning. More than the 2004 team, if they would have won? I think the 2004 team would be considered the best, but I think people's favorite would be the 85 team because it just had loads of personality and the way the style that they played and Whitey being in charge Mm -hmm. and the fact that they were not supposed to be good. Whitey at the beginning of the 85 season was thought to be the first manager fired that year. Really? Yeah. They'd lost Bruce Suter and Whitey said, I'm 45 games dumber because Suter had had 45 saves the year before. So they weren't expected to be that good. And they just added Clark. Nobody knew He'd been in San Francisco, but he'd never really won before. Nobody knew what Clark was. And then Vince Coleman comes up. And nobody knew what Vince Coleman was either. So started the season on the hot seat, ended in the World Series. Yeah, pretty remarkable. So looking forward to hearing Danny with Jack Clark coming up at 10-15. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Great material on a Friday. Looking forward to this with... You're killing me, Small. All right, Randy. So in the segment prior to this, every day, we've been doing this date in Cardinals postseason history. We have. And our 101 ESPN Twitter account yesterday pushed out um, an event that happened on this day in Cardinals history that you didn't mention. What was that, Michelle? Yesterday. So we have this from our 101 ESPN Twitter account. I encourage people to follow it and to check it out. But it said, on this date in 2006, Brad Thompson suffered a severe neck strain in game <laughs> for the NLCS and it has the post dispatch with the cover and it just says SmackDown and it's Carlos Delgado hitting that monster home one run and Brad Thompson just looking back at it watching it go <laughs> and and Yachty yeah, you can see Yachty's eyes it was almost like Andy Pettit oh my god oh my god but Brad takes everything in straight he quote tweeted and just said I hate my co-workers that is all <laughs> well he was there. That's the thing. He was pitching <laughs> in the majors. He was pitching in the World Series. And he provided a memorable moment for all of us. I think that's what we should take out of this. Absolutely. And he's got hardware. He's got a World Series yep. championship on his resume. So we could go ahead and make fun of him for that. But he's getting the last left always. I always tell him that he's one of less than 20,000 people in the history of our world that has donned that uniform and pitched in a game. One of even many fewer that have pitched in a World Series. And one of even many fewer than that that has allowed just a monster home run (laughs) on that stage. I wonder what that feels like, though, when you just look back and you go, man. (laughs) Thank goodness he didn't face Russell Brannion in a postseason. (laughs) 
Russell Brandon, you, you know the best OPS you can have is 5,000. Russell Brandon had a 5,000 OPS against BT. 5,000. That's, that's ownage, I think, is what they call that. I think so. Yeah. Wow. That is a massive home run right there. That is. So BT was obviously providing some power. Yes, he we, was. We talked about how he didn't throw hard. He provided some power. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, another big postseason home run yesterday. Carlos Correa, the Astros came back. He Come was on. able to walk it off. Dramatic ending to the game with the Rays and the Astros. They ended up winning the game 4-3 to three over Tampa Bay. And... You know, in the Houston dugout, they're saying that he called his shot. Dusty Baker said before he went up there, he said, walk off. And Dusty said that he said, go ahead on, man. So do we believe them? These are the Houston Astros after Mm -hmm. all. So they're saying, hey, he called his shot. This is the modern day Babe Ruth. And he went out there and delivered. Do we believe them, though? I would believe it more if he would have pointed to left center field before the at bat. But yes, I do believe it, and I probably would believe if somebody told me that every single player in the bottom of an inning, in every single game, calls their shot with a walk-off. Everybody. All the Cardinals, even though they don't hit home runs, all the Astros, all the Dodgers, all the Braves, everybody that comes up in a bottom bottom of an inning of a tie game probably says, I'm going to walk this off. But do they say it out loud? Yeah. Every time? Uh, Probably. I would think so. But then and you have he to happened go back to, to the dugout if you strike to, out. Yeah, right, exactly. But nobody remembers that. Yeah. But he hit one out. Yeah, you're right. That would be the play. Just every time you're in that position, yeah. just say, I got this. Yeah. Don't worry. This is out. Did you see him after the game doing his post game? He was so happy and he said, I knew it was gone the moment that I hit it. Yeah. And I was thinking, how'd you know? <laughs> Did you know? They it was know coming? a lot. They can they see a lot that's coming with the Astros. Man, they certainly do. You're killing me, Small! One thing we did not see coming, Randy, is Peyton Manning and his new bod. This is all over the internet. It was on the New York Post. Peyton Manning, all these pictures came up of him. He was on the beach in Miami. He was throwing a Nerf football around with his family. He had a bucket hat on, shades. Very on brand for Peyton Manning to be wearing a bucket hat and shades Mm -hmm. on the beach. But what we didn't expect was that he has major abs. And it's all over the internet that it's the big surprise of the week that Peyton Manning has a shredded physique. I wonder if he's in better condition now than when he played towards the end of his career. Because he does look magnificent. 44 years old and does have a six-pack. He is shredded and obviously handling 75 hard exceptionally well. You think that's what he's doing? Uh, Probably not. He probably works out a lot, though. He has time to because all he does is commercials and work out, right? He does some stuff for ESPN. Oh, yeah, he does the... the, Peyton's Place or I forget exactly what it's called. But... When your entire life from when you were a kid is surrounded by workouts and being in the gym and practices, I would imagine that in your postseason life, in your retirement life, you're either going to go one of two ways. You're going to say, okay, we're eating now. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to get to splurge and do whatever we want. And you might gain a bunch of weight or you're still doing that same routine and you're just, you know, you have more time in the gym. I wonder if his neck issues have forced him to keep those core muscles, the, the neck and back things that he has dealt with, if he almost has to keep those core muscles strong. So it benefited him in some way. Yeah. It, he looks great. He looks better than me. But if I said to you, hey, guess what? Peyton Manning has abs, you'd say no way. Oh, uh, no way. 
But no, he does. He doesn't, there's no way that you would ever imagine that Peyton would have a six-pack. Matt, if it's going to be Manning or Brady, let's do the rivalry again. Who's going to have the six-pack? It's going to be Brady. You would think it would be Brady, yes. <laughs> what kind of ice cream? Avocado. Avocado ice cream. You think a person that eats avocado ice cream is going to have a six-pack. You just imagine that. And you have Peyton Manning owning a ton of Papa John's. You think right. he's certainly snacking Different. on some slices of the garlic sauce? Unbelievable. You throw right. some pepperoncinis in the mix. Why not? Great point. You know? But maybe that's the play for me to get through this, is to get some avocado ice cream. That maybe might be it. I need, because I'm not having any sweets. Are you having any sweets at all? Not really. The sweetest, like raisins and cranberries. That's what you're counting as sweets? Ra- they're sweet. Randy, raisins are trash. No, they're raisins worst, are great. They're the worst form of grapes. If- You've got regular well, they're, grapes, they're you got wine. Up. But if you, if you mix on. them, if you have like trail mix with almonds and raisins and cranberries, they're fine. Do you hear this, Scott? Almonds, raisins, cranberries. I can't do this. I'm going to... Avocado ice cream, at least I could trick myself by I putting, hate avocados. You do? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking at least then you get the ritual, right? You can pretend it's ice cream. You scoop it out. You put it in the bowl. I can go without in, ice cream. You watch a show. I, 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 I can absolutely, especially at this time of year, I can go without ice cream. Yeah, 75 hard would be 75 really hard if I had to go through the summer without Fritz's frozen custard. What's your order? It's the special with Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> delicious. You know, listening to other people talk about food right now is the same thing for me as watching Marcel Zuna and Randy Rosarena <laughs> for power. I, I, it's so painful, but I need it to survive. <laughs> You're killing me, small. Okay, finally, Randy, another postseason meltdown for Clayton Kershaw. And there was just so many tweets yesterday going out about him. What about this one? The Clayton Kershaw postseason meltdown is always the saddest reality show every year. You keep watching, hoping for a different ending. Then you just feel terrible for him all over again. That was from Michael Lee. I agree 100% because he's likable. He's great during the regular season. A couple of years ago, Buster only did a piece making the argument that Perhaps Clayton Kershaw is the best starting pitcher of all time in the regular season. He's been that good. To have a 2.43 regular season ERA in this era is phenomenal. Unbelievable. But when we get to the postseason, as we saw on the figurine of Clayton Kershaw on the packaging, he is a choking hazard. (laughs) It happens, and it did again yesterday. It's too bad, but it's true. And as we know, because we are gambling people now, we're doing stuff yeah. with FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook. I'm not betting on him to do oh, well. No, I'm betting on him to choke every time. And, the, and that is so sad because I want him to succeed. I do too. But there are different people that have different abilities. Think about this, Michelle. Think how good, great Jeff Supon was in the postseason. He was an okay major league starter during the regular season. But man, he would get to the postseason and turn it on. He was a 2006 NLCS MVP. Some guys are guys that step up at the big moments, and some guys shrivel at the biggest moments, and he, unfortunately for him, shrivels. Thanks, Michelle. Like a raisin, Randy. (laughs) Exactly. That is your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and Josh Fleming, St. Louisan, and a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, is going to join us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. As Scott told you, we do go right to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity, celebrity line and Josh Fleming. 
who is from the area, went to Columbia High School, pitched at Webster, and now is pitching on the biggest stage in the American League Championship Series for Tampa against Houston. He joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Josh, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. How's everything going in San Diego? Uh, it's going great. Um, I mean, having a good time out here, obviously, um, playing good baseball right now. And Josh, as we mentioned, you pitched at Webster University. So take us through that path. Now you're here, you're pitching in the ALCS. What's that like going from Webster University to all of a sudden you're on the mound in the ALCS? Uh, it, it's pretty crazy, actually. Um, if you would have told me, you know, in, in 2017 when I was still there that, you know, in three years I'd be pitching in the ALCS, I would say that you're crazy. Um, so, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty awesome to be be a part of all of this and everything. Josh, what is it about that system that Tampa Bay has that allows them to get so many guys that are great fits in the bullpen? What What's the difference between you on the day you were drafted and the way you're pitching now? Uh, just, I mean, the way they develop pitchers, you know, it's they they really take their time and they care about you know every guy that they have. They see what their strengths are, um, and and they make you play with that. And it's just, I mean, it it's like no other organization, you know. I had teammates that have come from other organizations and and they've just been like wow the Rays are I mean way different when it comes to you know developing pitchers and everything um and they just they just take their time with guys you know they they don't you know they don't rush into things they they see what their strengths are throughout the you know a couple seasons and stuff and and they just really just I mean they take their time with guys. Josh we had your teammate Pete Fairbanks on earlier in the week is it cool for you to have another guy with St. Louis roots on the team? Yeah, it is awesome. Um, last year when he got traded, um, we actually have the same agent. So um, I knew of him, but I didn't know him that well. And then when I got called up to AAA, he was there. Um, and, and we started becoming pretty good friends there. And then during this quarantine um, period, we uh, we played catch every day together and everything got even more close. So, um, you know, it's awesome to have him there. And, and you know, he always jokes with me saying I'm not actually from St. Louis because <laughs> – I was from Columbia, um, but I mean, it, you know, pretty much the same thing. Josh, I'm an Illside girl. We count, okay? Metro East. You tell, yeah. you tell Pete what's up. But we, we do. We, we do. We do. Don't forget about us over across the river. Yeah. But one thing that Pete, right. that Pete said, we were asking him about Randy Rosarena, who we know here in St. Louis because he obviously used to play for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. But he said that Randy is the greatest hitter on the planet, possibly the universe. So do you have anything else to add to that? What's it been like watching Randy Rosarena light things up on this stage? I mean, I have never seen anything like it. I mean, you, you see guys go through hot streaks all the time, but but what Randy is doing right now is just unbelievable. Like I, I can't even believe it with my own eyes. Sometimes he is just he is the hottest hitter on the planet right now. There's no doubt about it. Has it provided a certain type of energy for your team to see him be able to do this? Have when he steps into the box now, do you just expect something great to happen? I mean, yeah, I think everybody does. And, and when he hits a, another home run, it's just like people just laugh. Like, of course he did. Like, shocker there, you know. Josh Fleming of the Rays with us on 101 ESPN, a local product. Josh, do you think it's more fun? And obviously it's impossible for you to say, but just from your observation, you guys are young and having a, a ton of fun. The team you're playing against, they've been to the World Series a couple of times. They have a bunch of guys in their 30s. I'm just wondering what the vibe is in the Rays clubhouse and if you think that the youth and exuberance is helping you guys. Yeah, Um I mean, like you said, we're, we're young, um, and, and we are having fun. 
um, when you play a team like the Astros who, who have been to the World Series and everything. And, we, you know, when we were up 3 nothing, we were, I mean, just happy as all can be. And, and we still are. You know, we're, we're up 3-2, um, still in the driver's seat. But, I mean, the Rays create the winning culture with, with just the vibes that go on in the clubhouse. You know, everyone's everyone's having fun. Everyone's talking. Even after losses, it's not, you know, dead silence after a loss, um, which, which I think definitely helps. Um, and, again, uh, just from teammates who have come from other organizations, they say the Rays are just way different than, than anybody else. It's, they, you know, they don't care if you lose. Um, you know, it's always have good vibes in the clubhouse and just get ready for the next one. And I think especially when you guys are playing without fans, when I watch you guys, it's like a high school or a college team. When, when something does something well, everybody's banging on something. You're making a lot of noise mm-hmm. in the dugout. I'm, I'm sure it kind of has that feel, and it probably works to your advantage without fans. Yeah, I mean, I think it does. Um, you know, we're a smaller market team, and, um, you know, I know it's not, not a lot of fans come to games anyway when they were allowed. So, um, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's kind of like it's similar, but it's, I mean, you know, we don't really care if there's fans or not. We're out there to have fun and, and just play baseball. Josh, I can tell you guys are having fun, whether it's, you know, Brett Phillips with the dry erase board. I believe he's <laughs> appointed the keep it simple coach. Is that right? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell, talk to us about that. What is his energy doing for you guys? Are you guys predicting what he's going to write on the dry erase board? How's that been? We do actually every time, every day in BP, we we always try to give him different ideas to put on, on his clipboard and everything, and, and he runs ideas past us. But I mean, he's awesome to have. He he is just full of energy. He's dancing after every win. Um, you know, he's the first one on this little high stage that we have in the center of the clubhouse, and he's he's dancing. Um, so to have that after you know a win and everything, it's just awesome. And and that's the energy that you know that we need and that we thrive off of. Okay, Joshua, I did want to ask you about the dance battles. I'm glad that you brought the, that up. Who's got the best moves on the team, in your opinion? Oh, man. It, I mean, I, I think Brett does. I, mean, I know Randy Randy thought he won the, the second <laughs> battle. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, I think the backflip really did it for, for Brett there. Um, so I'd have to go with him. Josh, you made your postseason debut yesterday, gave the the Rays three innings. What was that like for you as a kid that grew up as a baseball fan? I'm sure that a dream was to participate in the postseason. Mm-hmm. What was it like? What was going through your mind yesterday? Um, honestly, I just wanted to go out there, do what I did, you know, all season, just just keep our team in it, you know, keep let us have a chance to win the game still. Um wasn't thinking too much. I didn't want to go out there and try and do way too much um, because it was my first appearance in postseason. So I tried to stay as calm as I could um, and just make good pitches. And the, that Astros lineup, and Michelle and I were both wondering, because they, they have so many stars throughout that lineup, is your approach, uh, do you just go with your best stuff and let things happen as they may, or is there a different approach against a team like Houston with all those all-stars? Oh yeah, I think you know. For me, I don't need to change up anything, um, just because the lineup has big names in it. Um, I think I can just stick with, you know, what worked all season. Stick with my strengths and 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 you know, like I said, just execute, you know, on on good pitches and stuff like that. As you grew up, Josh, here in the St. Louis area, I assume you were a Cardinal fan, right? Yes. Who was your guy? Man, I Albert Pujols was. I mean, he is like. 
the guy that if I ever face, you know, within the next year or two, like I would be starstruck. <laughs> he, he is my, like my hero growing up. That's cool. Did you have a pitcher? Um, I mean, Wainwright, it's gotta be Wainwright. And Josh, what, you know, obviously if Wainwright was your guy, you've been paying attention to what he did this season. What was your reaction to what he was able to do for the Cardinals this season, throwing a complete game too on his 39th birthday? Yeah. I mean, I mean, at, at his age, what he's doing, him and Yachty, both. I mean, those two are inseparable. And, and watching him, you know, do well this year and, and throw that complete game, it, it was pretty awesome to see. Um, you know, he's still got it. There, there's no doubt about it. He's still got it. The Rays are up 3-2 in the series. Game six is this afternoon. It's a 5 o'clock start St. Louis time. Uh, what are you expecting? Give us the read here in St. Louis about what do you what you think is going to take place with Blake Snell on the mound in San Diego for you guys. Um, I mean, I think Blake's going to have a good game again. Um, you know, he, he, he's never had a bad game, in my opinion. Every game I've watched him throw, he's, he's done very well. So I think, um, you know, you're going to get Cy Young Blake tonight. Um, and I think we're going to take it home. I think we're going to go to the World Series. Um, that's just me being being confident, you know, in my guys. I think our bats are going to wake up. I think we're going to really hit the ball tonight. Well, we're rooting hard for you guys, obviously the local guys, but against Houston. And it would be fun to see the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series. So hopefully you do make your way to Texas next week, and we'll all be watching and listening tonight. Thank you, Josh. Yep, thanks for having me. You got it. Have a great one. That is the left-hander for the Rays, Josh Fleming, Columbia, Illinois, born in Bridgeton, then grew up and went to Columbia High School, pitched at Webster, a 17th-round pick, and now here he is pitching in the ALCS for the Rays. And let's hope we get to see them in a dance battle tonight because I'm really cheering for them to go to the World Series. Yeah, and it is fun to watch them when somebody hits a home run banging on pads yeah. and stuff. It, it does look like it has that vibe of... Uh, college or a high school team that has to just generate their own energy they've been doing a great job of it they really have their they're having so much fun you can feel it when you watch them yeah and that's one of the reasons i want to see him when i i want to see a rosarena do well because he seems like a fun guy and nothing against the cardinals but he's just one of ours as they say once a cardinal always a cardinal right yeah and now yeah exactly that's <laughs> right but we're also uh cheering for pete fairbanks and josh fleming now yeah. friends of the show yeah great to have those guys and trevor richards is that's not right. on their 40 man but another local guy so the, the rays have a definite local flavor and kevin eibach is our friend now too Man, we just we've had a lot of people from the yeah. Tampa Bay Rays organization. Character and Smallman, you're home for the yeah. Tampa Bay Rays. Go Rays, go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Scotty. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour. And Michelle and I are going to talk things over with Dan and what he remembers from Jack Clark's home run in 1985. 35 years ago today, Dan is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> So guys, 35 years ago today, I was sitting in the sports office at KMOX and the ceiling was made up of those like plastic grates, little like one inch by one inch squares, the, the grates. Oh yeah. So I'm sitting watching the game, the Cardinals and the Dodgers, ninth inning, and Jack Clark hits that home run. And I jump up out of my chair and both of my fists hit that grate and all kinds of dust comes down all over my head and my shirt. <laughs> There's, I remember those grades quite well. I, I hit those grades for 
different reasons, <laughs> but there's yep. the same dust was the there. I guarantee, yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's one of the most memorable. And we had these little like 13 inch black and white TVs. And that's what I'm watching the game on, and uh, it's one of the most memorable. I can I can envision it right now. The way I went up and and the dust came down on me like it was like somebody was pouring fairy dust from the heavens on top of me. <laughs> so I got Jack Clark coming up on the show before he asked me what's coming up on the show. So we'll visit with uh, Jack Clark. Jack the Ripper is going to come up uh, in scoops and. I think my there's so many things I love about the home run, you know, just the drama of it. Do you pitch to him? Van Slyke was on deck. The history, I think people forget that Jack was a longtime giant. So there was the history there with the Dodgers and the Giants and Lasorda. And so um, I'm sure Jack will address that in the interview, whether or not you would pitch to him. And Vin Scully addressed mm-hmm. that in the call. You know, do I pitch to that so and so or that so and so in Van Slyke? And well, he pitched to him, and Needenfear gave up another home run, memorable home run in that series of 1985. But um, I think my favorite part of the whole thing, there's two of them, was Pete Guerrero in left field throwing <laughs> down his glove, awesome. seeing a major leaguer throw his glove down like if you're in little league, like. <laughs> You know, he throws it down as the home run is going into the seats. I think that's incredible. He spiked it. He spiked his glove like it was a touchdown. I've only seen that other one other time. Ted Lilly. Ted Lilly threw his glove down when he was on the mound, and he gave up a home run, and I saw him slam down his glove. That was the other time I've, I've seen that. And there's a question I want to ask Jack that I've never asked him before. I've never asked him before. Is what did he say to... Uh, Whitey and the bench in the dugout when he hit the home run. Mm-hmm. I want I want to know out of his mouth. I've heard stories about it, but I want to know what did he say when he hit the home run? And he took a long trot, as <laughs> yeah. a long trot around the bases. But what did he say? Because he knew he got it, mm-hmm. and he dropped the bat and took a wide turn before he got to uh, first base. But what did he say to his teammates and to Whitey? And to to the dugout. Um, so what did what did he say when he hit the right. home run? So we'll, we'll visit with Jack Clark on what is now uh, the anniversary of that home run. That's a good tease. We're going to be tuned in yeah. to that. But where do you guys rank that home run for you personally, as far as memorable Cardinal home runs? Cardinal Ooh. home runs? Yeah, it's top five for me. Yeah, it's you've got fr- me too. Absolutely, Freeze, Ozzy, and that. Yeah, and actually, that was a bigger home run than Ozzy's because if the Cardinals lose that game, it's Hershiser the next day. Yep. Game and, seven. Yeah, and they, they probably would not have beat him. The Ozzy home run, while more unexpected, and obviously the call makes mm-hmm. a big difference, even Ozzy will tell you that, the Clark home run, in the big scheme of things, that got him into the World Series. I'd say it's tough to rank those because they're all, like, I hate to go Tony on us, but we tied for first. Tied for first yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say, I mean, the freeze home run with the dramatics of a World Series and a hometown guy, and he'd already tripled. and Down to your last wreck twice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, I don't know, man, because Ozzy's my guy. Uh, Ozzy and Freeze are one, and then Jack is two. That's yeah. where I'm at. Those are probably for most people, though, the top three. And I, ironically, we played because the anniversary of the Pujols home run in 05 is tomorrow. Nope, not for me. Because they lost the series? Yep. You mm-hmm. don't put it in there? Nope. Nope. Jack's ahead of that. Pretty me- Oh, absolutely. He's ahead yeah. of that. I'm just talking oh, about a top five. I, I might put that one in there. Give me some other options because well, off the top of my head, I mean, it's dramatic, you, but you got I 
I like winning. You know, if it if, if it meant they win, right. they would have gone on and won. Then it's means more yeah. to me. But it's still, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the dramatics but, no, of the, it. The, if you look at uh, another one that happened today was freezing game six against Milwaukee uh, yeah. in the NLCS, and that got them going in the first inning. But you have. The Willie two home runs in the 82 World Series. See, I, I like those three. even yeah. ahead of maybe even Albert. Yeah. I know and, most people wouldn't. Well, but but be, because the Cardinals won, absolutely. And, I, I and I'd also say in that game, he took one away. Two, yeah, Molitor to start the game and Gorman Thomas to end the game. Right. And yeah. and he takes one away. Now, I just It's unbelievable. He, he was great. One other one that uh, pops into my mind here. I'm sure the text line is going to come yeah. up with some other great but ones, too. You know what I think is really yeah. underrated? And it's because the Cardinals already had the game won. But the three-home run night by Pujols against Texas. And I think it was already 7 nothing by the time he hit yeah. his first one. But those were pretty awesome. Well, you got to go Bob Gibson in a Game 7 yep. home run. Right. Bob Gibson hitting a home run <laughs> oh, in Game yeah. 7. Yeah. I mean, becoming an MVP okay. in two World Series. So Boyer's Grand Slam kept Absolutely. the Cardinals alive in 64. That, the Shannon's Yankees are, home run. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot that we can go back yeah. on. Greatest home runs in Cardinal history. We yeah. have a few submissions for Jim Edmonds. Oh, yeah. The oh, sure. walk-off in the 12th. Yeah, that's got to be up there. Yeah. I just think it adds to it. There's you could. That's what makes the debate so much fun. It, does it mean more if you go on and win a series, or is there other things connected to it, like Willie taking one away, hitting two, hitting, you know, and taking one away? Um, but the... The fact that you stave off elimination because Albert silences the crowd, mm-hmm. and then the camera catches the Houston bench, and they go, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> and so, guys pulling down their hat because they don't yeah. want to see oh, it. Oh man! Two things about Jack Clark: one about the home run. A couple several years later, it must have been early mid nineties. The Cardinals are playing a memorial. They play a Memorial Day game against. The uh, the Dodgers, so Lasorda was still the the manager. So and he hit another one. Yeah, the, the, yes, he beat him a lot. But so they play a day game, and I I, I don't I think Jack was gone by that time. But Lasorda was still managing the Dodgers. But Lasorda's driving around. Charlie Gito's driving around town. They went and had dinner after the game, and Ron Jacoba and I are talking about that home run. And, oh, and he called in. And he and he called yeah. in. And he said, "Well, what would you have done?" And I said, well, I wouldn't have pitched to Clark. He said, who was on deck? And I said, Van Slyke. He said, who would you rather pitch to, Clark or Van Slyke? And I said, Van Slyke. <laughs> right. It's kind of a famous story, a sidebar to that. But he, you guys went after it a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, What? What else? How long did he stay on? About six, seven minutes. And he got after it, right? He yeah. was pretty pretty upset. Yeah, but then once... How can you say you'd rather pitch to, to Jack Clark than Andy Van Slyke? Right. You just can't. And uh, we love AVS, but you can't say that. And one of the preeminent sluggers of the time of right. 1985. Yeah, yeah, it, I well, agree. When you when he hit it, you knew. The other thing is, Rammer and I, Bob Ramsey and I, would wait for Jack. And Jack had a lot of physical issues, so he would always take a lot of time in the trainer's room before he would come out to talk to the media. And most of the media would leave. They wouldn't wait around for an hour to hear, hear Jack Clark. And Rammer and I several times waited for him. And there was one time that the Cardinals played a day game before taking off to New York. So we had to get him before they went and played the Mets. And he comes out, and one of us said, so what do you expect this weekend? And he says, I wouldn't mind getting a little blood. (laughs) (laughs) Just such a competitive guy. Competitive and loyal and love the Cardinals. And you get Jack talking. I'm sure he'll be like this in the interview, too. Loved Whitey. 
loves the Cardinals and loves the city. Yeah, uh, he's back by the way in um, in St. Louis. He's had ties to um, teams, various teams on the West Coast, and uh, I think his daughter married a uh, a pitcher that was in the minor leagues, and then I think is connected to a major league team as a pitching coach. Not sure. And so maybe gone out to the West Coast and then came back. So I'm not sure, but we'll get into it with, with Jack Clark. Looking forward to that. Yeah, have looking a great forward weekend. to it. Yeah, you guys too. Have a great weekend. Great job by our producer engineer, Scotty Manziar. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks, Randy. Hey, have good a good luck weekend. on that house. If, well, again, if Scott Manziar, if you see that name, if he's made a bid on your house, take it. Please. Just, he needs to get out of his mom's it. house. He do needs it. to get out of the mom's basement. For Gosh. his mom. Do it. Why don't you call Ryan Kelly? He could help you out. He could help me out. Yeah. He's the home loan expert. That's right. Homeloanexpert.com. Yeah. Yep. Michelle, have a, a great weekend and keep going. 75 hard. We can do it, Randy. Thank you. You we have can. a great weekend, too. All right. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.